Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Weekly Manga Recap here on Wednesday, May 15th of 2019. Back in the saddle again. It just feels it's, good, doesn't it? Like, it's I didn't it's good to... I didn't want to say it. Monday sucked. Monday always ate ass. Wednesday feels right for Weekly Manga Recap. It's good to have, you know, the few days, uh, a few extra days to kind of, you know, let the, the, the opinions gestate and figure out what you really want to say as opposed to me staying up until like well i always stay up overnight anyway but you know you know like having to spend the night entire night before getting all of my shit ready because like oh, i've only got one day to do this and so it's like okay i've got a little bit of time to figure out how i feel about kishimoto's new series and oh yeah. right i should have finished reading that I'm sure it's not a big it's deal. It's very long. So. <laughs> I think I got like 30 pages and I was like, oh, Jesus, I'm not even halfway through this. I gave him so many pages for this. <laughs> oh. We have 15 chapters to discuss this week, Chris, because uh, as a result of our having the having golden week off and getting a chapter of World Trigger in and having... The extra few days, which meant that the manga that come out on Tuesday had an extra chapter that came out. Now we've got all this extra stuff that we've got to talk about it as a result of, you know, not doing an episode for two weeks. So are we adding the climber got... on top of that? No. OK, <laughs> so let me let me take that title card off. Then. <laughs> no, because Nor the last episode we we're going to if we take put it this way if we spend 10 minutes per chapter this week we are going to be going two and a half hours so that's true um All right. i don't think that we have much time to to scuffle around not talking about manga so i think we're gonna have to get into it chris all right i'm just gonna there we go powered up and ready to go what what is that this is the uh the supersized monster where when you oh. open it, it sounds like a small grenade goes off. It's to <laughs> tell you how much how much power there is in it. What I was like, what kind of dangerous chemical are you pumping into your body? <laughs> it sounds like a power warning. juice. Ah! All right. Well, Chris is going to be unconscious immediately after we finish recording the episode. So yeah. let's get into this. Hard. Appropriately enough, with chapter two hundred twenty-seven, My Hero Academia, titled Sleepy. Which is about a couple of sleepy characters, one being Toga and the other being Shigaraki. Uh, we don't actually see a whole lot of Toga in this chapter. We just kind of see her stum stumble into a supply shed and then collapse into a fetal position, uh, which she apparently is happy with because as a result of feeling this sensation, uh, she feels closer to the people that she that she admires. OK, good for her. Um, we then cut to the headquarters where Redestro uh, is there with uh, a really strange looking black haired dude uh, who is reporting to them. And of course, they've still got Jiren captive. So it's been a joke for a little bit because there's been a character in his it's like the member of the feel good ink party. That they're right. like, yeah, it's the gorillas, dude. This guy literally looks like he's from a gorillas video. He, does. he looks like their uh, guitarist. I forget. I don't know any of their names. No, I hate the gorillas, by the way. I know I wanna, you do. I want to stress. It's this. okay. I want the it's world okay, to man. know. 
You, do you have like a, a unbridled spirit about how much you hate the gorilla's music? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, as I like whip out a list that unfurls, I'm like, well, now that you brought it up. <laughs> Reasons you hate the gorillas. Yeah. <laughs> Does it really have to be that numerous? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, not a fan. But I have 17 more minutes prepared where I just shit all over them and their families. Armbar! <laughs> so, um, they are kind of upset about the way that uh, everything went down with the the way that Toga fought because uh, there's no way that they can actually manipulate the footage uh, enough to actually have Toga's story fit their narrative now. Um, so they're like, well, that sucks. We can't use that now. So it's a good thing that they're more, you know, broken up about about he's this guy is more broken up about that than the fact that, you know, Curious is dead. Admittedly, Redestro, like, you know, is is actually crying over the loss of uh, his soldiers because he's a weirdo. He's just, you know, they're like, life is so very precious. Cut off more of that guy's fingers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Make him swallow glass. <laughs> Don't kill him, though. <laughs> precious. A black-haired guy proves to be a bit of a weirdo himself because he, like, during, like, asks some questions, trying to figure out what the hell they're playing and doing, and he's like, oh, uh, how dare you try and get information out of me? And then goes on a rant about what they're going to do anyway, so, okay. Well, I mean, we had to know the answer. Right. So, Jiren is like, why the hell do you think that things are going to change if you just do that? You guys are insane. And Redestro says, I'm afraid it's everyone else who has gone mad. As I suspected, you lack imagination. See, you're not, he's not going crazy, Chris. He's going sane in a crazy world. Mm. So he's not the Joker. We're the Joker. Everyone oh, else is it. the Joker. It's like, it's like the bit in the third Arkham game where everyone looks like the Joker spoilers i haven't played any of them yet and it's been out for seven years there are multiple times where that happens so (laughs) um we catch up a little bit with the league of villains and how uh they're doing uh apparently they've been fighting for a while because they're down to an hour and 20 minutes until gigantomachia wakes up and comes for them um i like the little detail where you know, because Spinner is doing, you know, typical uh, again, fighting against a horde of enemies uh, battle uh, group thing where he's like, oh, no matter how many we knock down, they just keep on coming. And Dobby just says, you haven't beaten a single one of them yet. <laughs> <laughs> We've been doing all the work, asshole. <laughs> uh, a fucking election campaign van drives up. Uh, and some guy with a shitty mustache says that Curious is dead. And uh, he says, but there is word from the Grand Commander. Do not let her sacrifice be in vain. And everyone goes, rah! And, and everyone's like, well, this is all the legal villains are like, well, this is kind of weird. And then all of the people who are fighting for the Human Liberation Front are like, rah! And move like a wave, just kind of going with their hands out. On the same emotion. Are they going to like do that thing where they like turn into a single huge body by linking arms? It, it's a very strange shot for all of them to be doing this. Yeah, it, it, it's an odd visual. I mean, I know why. It's so that Shigaraki can disintegrate all of them. But 
Uh, which we see after he has a little bit of a, an introspective moment because he's very tired from, you know, fighting Gigantomachia constantly for 40 days in a row or something like that and then having to deal with this bullshit. Um, he thinks to himself that whenever he's feeling like this, stuff that's not moving comes to life. I start hearing things that aren't there. All this unnecessary input, it's total sensory overload. It's like my whole body's glitching. I know this feeling well. And he starts to experience uh, memories. And I love that he, while he's like, you know, consciously aware, he's like, yeah, this happens whenever I go a little crazy. He's like, yep, here's another flashback, I guess. <laughs> another one of these. He's all important revealing flashbacks. Uh, maybe I should be, you know, examining the details that I learned about myself from this, but now nah, it's too much. It's all bullshit. I'm tired. For me, this is all trite, but perhaps if there was an audience who was looking on, a lot of this would be new information, perhaps massive revelations to some of them. Uh, for example, it seems as though Shigaraki had uh, a sister, or at the very least, uh, a girl around his age who was very close to him, who was going to show him, and who showed him a picture of himself with his grandmother. Of course, the pre the uh, wielder of uh, One for All prior to uh, Toshinori. Uh, and there's not a whole lot um, that we glean from this, except for the fact that they seem to have a close relationship in, in this in this girl. Uh, but Shigaraki thinks to himself, like, I don't really get it because, like, this doesn't feel like a memory. But whenever I see this visual, I feel this kind of sense of relief. Uh, and he's really upset because he can't see the entire memory all he's getting is little bits and pieces it's like a busted recording uh and it makes him upset when this happens and he gets so upset that he get, starts to get sick to his stomach and he actually vomits into the hand mouth guard thing while disintegrating an entire horde of people and it is a really badass shot because he just cast his hand through one guy's face and it leaves trails of dust in his wake as he does so. And basically everyone in the massive horde of people that was coming towards him start to disintegrate and they're left in the giant pile of dust. And as Spitter points out, he didn't actually touch every single person in the pile of people. Seemingly his disintegration was actually trans transmit through more of them than just those he was touching. So there is more to Shigaraki's power seemingly than what we knew about it up to this point. He's evolving. He's getting stronger. He also has eight previous quirk users inside of him <laughs> who will unlock new powers as he goes. And one of them is kind of lame. <laughs> <laughs> My first power, a whip. So Dobby decides that, hey, Shigaraki's going to disintegrate a massive pile of bodies. Then I guess I'll, you know, set a whole bunch of people on fire, too. But then a, a weird looking guy in an Eskimo kind of get up shows up and he got ice powers. So fire versus ice, it looks like we're getting. I like that that like. That's how it shows up. He's like, I guess I'll use my cool powers, too. Oh, never mind. I'm just going to fight the one dude to be the most obvious opponent for me. <laughs> like, huh? Most boring fight ever. All right, cool. Cool. Elemental matchup. Never seen that before. Whatever. Uh, Don't you remember that ice guy who showed up in the uh, the flashbacks all the time? No. Exactly. 
What flashbacks? That's what I mean. <laughs> what are you talking he's about? He's a brand new, he's a super cool, elaborate uh, ice character with a rich backstory to him. It's very, I can't wait to see this fight. This The, the first line that this guy says is like, ice to meet you. <laughs> oh, I hope he's nothing but shitty. I, I hope he's like that fucking dude from the, uh, the, the Spriggan 12 or whatever. It was just like, desert, 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 desert. He's just like, ice cube, ice cube, ice cube, ice cube, ice cube. Cold, freezing, freezing. Um, yeah, so that's that's the chapter of My Hero Academia. It's it's an all right chapter. Um, I, there's some cool visuals in it, but I mean, it is. I'm a little bit on Shigaraki's side here in the sense that it's like, oh, well, OK, there's just a tiny little bit of new information we get from this because we don't get the whole picture, which is kind of frustrating. Oh, well. All right. All right, Nick, let's, let's kick it into high gear with our favorite series of the week. Food Wars! Food Wars! It's chapter 310, A Gourmet Clash. Soma made fried rice. That is the chapter. Whoa, whoa, Nick, hold on. He didn't just make fried rice. He put yeah. things in it. Yeah, it's fried rice that represents all the different cuisines. All of it's in there. All of it's in there. You know, there's this thing. Everything. Everything's in there. So, um, everyone's like, really? You just fucking made fried rice? And I like how the people who are looking on are just like, wait, so he actually did do exactly what he said. He just, like, dumped everything together and fried it up. Uh, and so Asahi says like, wow, okay. All right. I, I mean, I get, I, I guess that this takes a lot of boldness to put out there, but I mean, come on, no one even, none of the judges even want to actually try your dish. It was obvious from the get go that mine would be better anyway, but the fact that you just come in with, wait a minute, something isn't right here. What's up with this fried rice? If you split the grains of rice open, there's a surprise inside. <laughs> It's a transforming oh. dish. Oh, that'd be great. He's like, but you haven't tried it with the sauce. And everyone's like. This is literally just soy sauce. <laughs> They're like, actually, the sauce made this much worse. <laughs> this is really salty now. I can't actually discern any of the comp individual components you put into this rice. It just tastes like, you know, sodium. <laughs> He's like, mm-hmm, that's a Yukihira special. Happy, pleased to serve. <laughs> like, get out of my When house. in doubt, make your dish taste super salty. <laughs> so Ron Maru forces the biased judges to eat. And I like how she, like, uh, his soiree is like, no, I don't want to bother. And she's like, come on, just eat it. Fucking eat it. And she, once she feeds it to her, though, it's it's super addictive, and she picks up the plate and eats it shonen hero style, <laughs> scooping it into her mouth. And everyone is shocked by this because she's tearing into it uh, so quickly. Um, and everyone starts to pick apart the dish, of course. Uh, he simmered the pork belly using sparkling water. Uh, there, he used... Uh, seafood from an aquapasta and from the Indian dish porial. There's diced green beans and shredded coconut fried in. And there's mirepoix from French 
to accentuate the sweetness of the vegetables. But the biggest key to the dish, the core of its amazing deliciousness, is the rice. What, the, the key to the delicious rice dish is the rice? The devil, you say. Uh, <laughs> and there's someone who even says that in the next panel. I was like, well, yeah, the dish is fried rice. <laughs> I want to note, Nick, it's not just mirepoix that's in the French. It also has oof mayonnaise. Oof. Big oof mayonnaise. <laughs> I don't know why this tickles me to no delight. <laughs> so... And it's pilaf, like from Turkish cuisine, from the Turkish word pilav. Yes. And so was like, that's right. I've learned so much since I started going to Totsuki. Good, good for you. Okay. And oh, my God, this dish truly does combine the five great cuisines and they form a pentagram. This is not a bad sign at all. Uh and one of uh, Asahi's followers is like, this can't nearly be, be gourmet enough. There's no way that mishmash of a dish could meet the lofty standards of the blue. And Courage says, it is, though. He steamed it in the broth from the aquapasa, and it's so good. And he was taking a dangerous gamble, but once it settled, the result turned out to be a miraculous success of unique gourmet. And some random judge is like, what an extremely high-level confrontation. Asahi Saiba's dish was delicately woven, a tapestry of the essences of all five grand cuisines, as if he was the main character in a story traveling the land and making allies of all the world's cooking techniques, like the hero of a grand adventure. But Soma Yukira, on the other hand, treated the five grand cuisines much differently. He tossed wildly different flavors into pitched battle, aiming to create even stronger hybrids, willfully destroying the harmony of the world for his own ambition, just like the evil overlord from a dark realm. So I guess, the, the I mean, the idea here is based on the premise of Totsuki's clashes constantly cause diamonds to form. Mm -hmm. And that was embodied in Soma's dish. And actually, I it's do think... Of one of those things. It, I, I get the point of it. It really just kind of seems like one of those things is like, this is just the way that we've decided to portray them. It may not be this way at all in real life. So I, I do... However, really like the way they choose to personify this visual image as Asahi is the noble warrior who traveled the world to like gather all these allies, and Soma's just the oh, big dick evil lord. Because for some reason, it's far more fitting for Asahi to be that, considering how when we look at it, you're like, he doesn't even know any of them. <laughs> like, he's like, yeah, uh, almost every one of the masters he trains that's are probably fucking despises him at this point. But yeah, it is a nice, you know, reversal of uh, of themes, you know, reversal of expectations. So. so we suddenly cut away at this point to uh, where Hayama is. And we learn why Hayama is not at the blue, which is we didn't have anything for you to do in this arc. But we're going to pretend that you were important anyway. So it's it's actually kind of weird. It is weird because he explains he's like. Yeah, I know that they said I was amazing, but I have more important things to do. Yeah. And we find out he doesn't. Such as? <laughs> but the thing is, <laughs> is that so, to just jump over what this whole thing's about, Soma and every member of like the council and the old council constantly fight every single yes. day. They battle yes. together. 
at a constant rate to improve themselves. And the general consensus that everyone has is like, no matter what, we find that Soma is the best among us. So the implication is kind of that Hayama was like, well, I'll just let Soma, like, Soma's the best of us. Why challenge him? But I'm like, isn't that the whole point that's the of point. you challenging him every day that that's the only way to get stronger isn't this not just an opportunity to fat battle other strong chefs but to potentially even encounter some on the grandest stage of them all where the stakes can never be higher and pull the best out of yourself like it seems weird for him to be like i obviously have no need to go someone will win the contest you're like <laughs> that's lame dude i was like you suck <laughs> Boo! Fuck you! Boo you, Hayama! Boo you! <laughs> and Mimasaka didn't go either. They don't say why Mimasaka didn't, you know, go. But Hayama says, like, I think he felt like I did. But we don't get any confirmation of that. Maybe Mimasaka was just like, I didn't feel like it. <laughs> I'm too lazy. <laughs> so, June fucking... Hayama says, like... Out of our entire generation, he's the undisputed leader, which is the entire point of having constant contests. You can be undisputed. And so Soma stands all triumphantly and his headband gets like three times longer so it can swirl dramatically around him. And then he looks up into the tower where Mana is and is like, hey, bookmaster, you want to try a bite of my dish? And she replies, why would I be required to do such a thing? It's like, oh, come on! <laughs> Let's do it! You're making me sad. This fried rice reminds me of my mom. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> like she tries to fight. She's like, "How does it remind you of your mom?" You're like, "Because she was also a sucker and did things when I cried." <laughs> <laughs> Suck it, bitch! I put that dish with poison. Now I'm the bookmaster. It's <laughs> <laughs> like that's not how it works. And Arian is like, "Yeah, you killed my bitch of a mom." <laughs> Good job, Yukihira. <laughs> that was Sokiyaki no Soma. I saw some people uh, in our Discord group saying that they actually quite enjoyed this chapter. And it's like, it's not a bad chapter, I guess. It's certainly not as bad as I've as, as I've been used to from Food Wars, but it's kind of just there for me. So if, if we were more excited about Food Wars at this point, I think this chapter would be a really good one. Because I, it, I, it does... It does put in science into the cooking that seems to make more sense and actually engage it more. I don't think the food has looked as good as it's ever looked, but it does like it feels like the food's important. Time is spent on this chapter. There's cool visuals. There's cool elements to it. And it ends on an interesting cliffhanger about something I am curious about finding about. But when like the five chapters kind of before this have all been like pretty like, oh, Jesus, it just kind of it's hard to lift out of that completely especially by one chapter alone i agree yeah uh hold on a second here i think uh okay i need to go back a chapter because there's two chapters of eden zero to discuss <gasps> the first chapter is chapter 43 smells like money and uh last time spider showed up at dragon joe's hideout and yes. uh we saw that Dracojo has like a whole group of wacky, like colorful individuals who are part of his team. And he's currently uh, torturing a guy who borrowed money from him, as we find out. Uh, he has the guy with a plat, like basically like a glass beer bottle kind of stuck in his mouth. 
And he's basically like, hey, you said you were going to give me that money, right? Well, uh, you got to return what you owe, right? And he just touches the glass bottle. And suddenly what was a glass bottle has become Drummore Ore, the heaviest metal in all of Geist. So it's basically suffocating this guy. And uh, basically, Draco Joe kind of is like, hey, so uh, this guy says he draws pictures for a living? Well... Then I guess it's fine if we break his face. So he turns it, presumably, back into glass before he kicks it and shatters the, the bottle in the guy's mouth. And uh, Spider is so irredeemably evil. Like, as this is happening, he just sits in the back. And he's like, die! People should die! Worthless maggot should die! And at least Draco Joe's like, what do you mean? Man, you can still fucking make money out of this guy. Come on now. So... He's like, yeah, we're gonna get we're gonna get our resources out of this guy, no matter what, no matter what we need to do. Uh, he also makes a joke about him becoming a pet for a giant old pig lady, and I don't know what this thing is. It's like a a slug man, I guess. I don't know. It's like a slug butler's just like, sir, your <laughs> statement just now was very like racist <laughs> towards the people of Pigmoria, <laughs> and I'm like, you know what? Considering what we see in this chapter and the next chapter. There probably is a planet of just pig people. Like it's probably. probably just what it is. Uh, so yeah, they they pull that guy out of there, and we're introduced to the various members of this group. There's a robot mm-hmm. cowboy called Seth Anderson. A I don't know, but he looks like he has steel like steel bolts across his face. Guy called Diego Reyes, and then the uh, sexy lady from before who could stretch called Maria Slime, and uh, basically talks about how. Uh, uh, Eden Zero, basically. They they, they they have a meeting about Eden Zero. And he's like, huh, I thought that was kind of a whole bunch there. Dracojo basically just cuts right to the, the, the core of it. He's like, you're here because they beat you, and then you dropped my name, and then ran home looking for help. And because so, you did that... Good job! <laughs> and because of that, you, sh- you sullied my reputation. And mm-hmm. that can't happen. And we That's see... A- it's a, it's a it's a good I mean he his his actions in this chapter like some of them are messed up but honestly like this guy could have come across so much worse so easily I feel like so Yeah this has actually been one of the more restrained villains we've seen to this point in in Eden Zero so we just see <laughs> Seth go for his gun but it doesn't look like he does anything Spider's like huh I don't know what happened and everyone's like, mm, Seth's just as fast as ever. He's so fast, you don't even realize that you've been shot. And Spider's been shot in the head, and he's dead. So, sweet. <laughs> it's actually kind of badass. Yeah. Like, look, he, he literally moves so fast that he's been shot in the head, and he doesn't get it. Like, oh, all right. <laughs> it's extremely cool, and it makes Seth look interesting, and uh, I'm, I'm pretty kind of excited to see what this group does in the future. They're like yeah. their group dynamic seems interesting. Uh, we jump back over to the Eden Zero. Then, just before we move on from that, uh, we also get a really strong idea of what you know makes Dragon Joe go in this entire conversation, which is, yeah, he does the whole thing where he just you know kills a, a useless minion, but his point is just like, there's no way this guy's gonna make me money anymore, so he's worthless to me. Uh-huh. So these might as well get rid of him. And that's just the way he thinks of people is that if you are worthless to him, if you can't make him any money, then he will kill you and not without thinking about it. So, yeah, 
Yeah, it seems very interesting. Uh, so back on the Eden Zero, they're talking about how they have three members of the, the four Shining Stars, so they're looking for Valkyrie. There's not a whole ton of information, but they start thinking about uh, the blue star, or the, what is it, the blue, the Shining Star, whatever the guild is that Rebecca worked for. Right. And specifically, how all these sorts of little details tie together. Like, oh, didn't you say that the guild master was kidnapped with you? And she's like... Yeah, it's kind of weird, because Guildmaster's not a girl, so if they were kidnapping women, I don't know what the point of that was. And Rebecca's sister's talking about it, and she's like, well, it's also weird, that guild sent me to Gilst, which is where I ended up getting captured. So they're like, hey, I guess we should probably look into to Noah, who's the leader of the guild. And Shiki's like, I'm gonna beat him up if he's a bad guy. And, uh... <laughs> <laughs> they first are like, well, we gotta, we gotta go over to this planet, you know. Let's, 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 let's find this legendary uh, fortune teller who will show us where uh, Valkyrie might be. We have to go to the planet of time, which of course is shaped like two giant like <laughs> clocks that are ticking. <laughs> You're like, is every like. So if you ever played Kingdom Hearts, when you travel to the world, right. they're all giant kind of caricatures of something right. symbolic from the movie, so you know what they are. Right. When you get to it, you don't literally... Like, when you go to Agrabah, it's like the giant fucking panther face from the cave. But when you right. actually go to the world, it's an actual desert planet. It's all like right. just on the big end. Apparently, that's <laughs> just what these are, too, where you're like, I don't know if I'm out there, it just looks like a really big clock. It is honestly the perfect comparison, because the, the same thing occurred to me. Uh, in terms of what the planets look like, so. Yeah. But yeah, I I don't know exactly why they're <laughs> they're shaped like this. I guess it's just convenient. I don't know. Uh, finally, we finish off the chapter by going into the Shooting Starlight Guild as we see the Guildmaster Noah Glenfield uh, is uh, getting a transmission from Draken Joe. Ooh, mm-hmm. very scary. Mm-hmm. So, so the guild, it seems that the Guildmaster and Drac and Joe have a working relationship of some sort. Mm-hmm. This so was actually a good chapter overall, by the way, before we move on yeah, to the next one. So, like yeah. so let's talk about chapter 44 at the Temple of Knowledge. And we start, Nick, with, because I don't know, you may have forgotten her. <laughs> I know I did. I forgot that there's a meta narrator who speaks to us the audience about the arcs in an undefined space area right and she asks us if we enjoyed the last arc no (laughs) i did not and she has this whole thing where she's like i did tell you the story would be sadistic she's like oh you didn't think it was sadistic well i guess to each their own Anyway, it she basically just details what's happening. And I sit here, I'm like, what a weird thing to do to have, like, a character who showed up, like, two arcs into the story to be like, I'm the narrator for your story. <laughs> Which is even weirder, because with only having, like, two instances of this character showing up, they then are feeling like, no, she's actually a part of she's the story. She's actually a character. Like, yeah. <laughs> The way this segment ends is she's like, I guess we're going to see an adventure for our heroes. Oh, I have guests at my door. That's right. I have guests. Let's see what happens. And then she walks away and then now, we go into the chapter. Right. The, what happens at the end of this to get put the car before, before the horse a little bit is it turns out that her visitors 
are the crew of the Eden Zero, which I am in two minds about. For one thing, I, I thought I was actually surprised when that it turned out that that was the case. It's like they've gone to see the all-knowing narrator to get some advice on where to go. And I think that that's like, oh, okay, that's you definitely surprised me with that. And that's kind of cool. But on the other hand, I think that it kind of removes a lot of her charm that now that it and it's definitely going to remove a lot of her charm for her to actually be a character within the story. I personally thought that it was kind of cool where she's like, oh, excuse me, I've got visitors. And then she just walked away. If you like never saw any of that again, I think that that would be actually pretty charming. This idea that she just exists in her own world and she's got her own stuff going on as opposed to I'm the narrator and I just talk. And it's like, no, no, I've got it it, adds to her like teasing personality that, you know, she's got this idea of stuff that's going on, but also that she's a fully realized character and not just like, and I am the watcher. And that's it. Yeah. But for it to turn out to be like, by the way, I'm actually a character in this universe that we're watching together. It's just like, that's a little weird. Okay. I would have loved it if in the middle, like at like the next chapter starts out, she's like, well, what did you think? You didn't think I was a character in the story. Did They're you? They're still there. And I actually, yeah, they're like, hello, who are you talking to? <laughs> she's like, oh. I bet you didn't see that one coming. I was like, I mean, I certainly didn't see it coming two arcs into this gimmick. It really feels like you, you shot this one off pretty quickly. <laughs> and it's honestly more interesting to talk about this part because the rest of this chapter is a fucking bunny costume being made for the most part. They're like, well, you made a deal with Weiss to Hamor made a deal with Weiss that she'd have to wear a bunny costume. Right. So they they're showing off that the like costume area of the ship can make a whole bunch of wacky costumes. So it does. <laughs> And she gets like a half kimono, half bunny leotard costume. And Shiki's a ninja. And I like Weiss, who is wearing a giant fur coat with glasses. And it just says, a mafia man is his outfit. <laughs> I'm like, I guess. You've never met anyone from the mafia, have you? <laughs> I guess that's a way of phrasing that, I suppose. You couldn't just call himself a pimp. Yeah, or a gangster, like, I don't know, mafia man just sounds like the kind of term you have to put on, like, a Halloween costume at a store <laughs> to avoid copyrighted No, 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 it's not a copyrighted thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we also see Witch's face, uh, because she removes her mask and gets a sexy witch costume, and of course, Sister gets a slutty nurse costume, because that's just what, they, they're, I don't know, it's a ship with a bunch of, uh super hot chicks in it so they all have to wear revealing costumes i Um, kind of went back and forth a lot in this chapter because for one thing i will say that i think that it is kind of endearing that these guys just use the costume maker thing to just goof around making weird costumes and having a little a little party while they're traveling it's like that's kind of cute and makes them seem like you know their friends hang out and have access to this random pointless but also cool device that they can use to entertain themselves. Uh, it makes it makes it, them seem, you know, more real. But then we get certain things like, for example, you know, Weiss is constantly trying to get them to, you know, pose for him. Or also, it turns out that Cheeky is also a low key until this moment, super pervert who keeps on trying to get one of them to dress in like transparent clothing. And he just will not yeah. stop trying to go for it. 
no matter how many times they're like, stop that. <laughs> I it, it was really weird to see that because to this point, I always kind of viewed Cheeky as being too like kind of simple minded, like not just having no interest in it. His mind is focused elsewhere and like right. he's too innocent to even really have like feelings Libido. on that. And in, in this chapter, they very explicitly say like, no, he wants to fuck. He really wants to. <laughs> uh, he wants to see nipples specifically, the, just the nipples. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's that's all he's down for at this point. So they eventually they, they make it over to Mildian, Mildilian. I don't know how to call it. Time planet. The time planet. <laughs> and although I'm not sure how this like visual relates to a time planet, it actually is a pretty cool looking location. With these giant kind of almost like cartoonish like dragon hallways on top of these giant spires leading into like one of those uh, pagoda kind of palaces. It's, it's pretty cool visual. And they get to it and uh, they op- they're like, oh, hey, there's a note on the door that says, please pro- you know, proceed barefoot from here. And I'm like, huh, I wonder what that's all about. All right, well, let's head on in. And then they walk inside, and they're in space. And who should be there but Zhao Mei, the Time Oracle, Nick? Mm-hmm. Ba-ba-bum! Like I said, I mean, when this actually happened, I was like, I was, it did legitimately catch me off guard. I was like, oh, okay. Um, but the more I've thought about it, the, the less I like it, so. Yeah, they're fine chapters. I think the second one significantly less so, obviously. But... Yes. I agreed. So. Okay, let's uh, head on from here. Okay, (laughs) it's time for Nick's time to shine here. Getting through all these, all these. Uh, Okay, so Hell War and Higuma is uh, not actually done. It's ending, but it's not done. Um, This is the last chapter, but not the last chapter, because it's announced at the end that there's going to be a special epilogue in a couple of months. Similar to a few series that we've uh, seen get that treatment in the past. So, but is it um, supposed to run in jump. I don't think so. Okay. Yeah, I think because it, it's specifically referred to as an epilogue uh, is going to uh, come out in a few months. So that makes it sound like it's just going to be a wrap up chapter. But uh, there's not really, honestly, a whole lot that actually happens in this chapter. Uh, Higuma kind of make makes peace with. Uh, the demon king Enma uh, and lets him know that he doesn't actually bear a grudge towards him. Uh, He's just going to, you know, carry on and finish his duties and stuff. We find out that the two hell wardens that showed up after he uh, had collapsed and helped get him back home are, were apparently supposed to be the next two, you know, members of the good guy team along with Ayaha and Kabata. Uh, and they basically are going to set off together to deal with the high-ranking spirits who are working together uh, to try and revive the old man, uh, resurrect the old man, and invoke a stronger version of the goddess's spell. The realm of the living will belong to them if they succeed, and the Kagarite clan can, and the Kagarite clan was going to be melee by them. We see a little bit of the conversation that the three spirits had, and that was starting in the previous chapter. Um, and yeah, Higuma's like, all right, we're going, we're going to go and set off and stop them. And the, the, all five of them set off together in this big group pose. And, uh, we get Hellworn Higuma, the end, special epilogue chapter coming in July. And that's it. 
it's honestly like a less satisfying version of Neolation's ending mm-hmm. altogether. You know, this is the bad guy's plan and we're going to go as friends and stop them. And that's it. So. Yeah, I see it. Yeah. Let's talk about Samurai 8, Chris. <sighs> All right. This is Get comfortable, everybody. Yeah, this is uh, Kishimoto's new series. Uh, we saw that this this showed up as a one shot uh, not very long ago. Um, Kishimoto, the author of Naruto, uh, has a cyborg samurai series that he's doing. There is a lot of stuff in this chapter. And just for the sake of my own sanity, more than anything else, we are not going to go over everything in it. There is so much stuff that happens so many little conversations that occur and this chapter is 75 pages long so no we're not going through the quadruple length chapter page by page <laughs> it's also worth noting that that kishimoto is writing this series but he is not drawing it we, we have a different right. artist for this uh and when it comes to a writing perspective uh there was a lot more lore of naruto mm-hmm towards the end of it and kishimoto just picked that up and began it from the start because you do not very front loaded you yeah. do not get a moment to be like this is a world of ninjas and here's here's some characters introduced you to like in a long ago time the kiraboras had seven keys that unlocked the door to an ancient realm you're like all right shit i guess i gotta i gotta sit down and figure this out we learned that there was a samurai uh, who was going to try and gather the keys. Uh, and we see a battle between himself and another samurai. We see the way that the samurais fight, which is they actually are capable of transforming their bodies uh, in order to summon armor and summon weapons and basically put various like kind of decorative masks on and such. Uh, one of the two samurai wins specifically by using one uh, one sword stroke as a diversion from his true attack with his offhand weapon. Uh, and the other samurai gives up his key uh, willingly. Uh, and the key is seemingly installed in his spinal column, basically. Uh, so his head sp- Splits apart and there's this odd metallic looking spinal cord inside of his head, which comes up out of his body. And uh, so the, the, the other samurai takes it and says, all right, time to embark on the next journey. And then this fades and we see that it was actually part of a virtual reality game that our main character was playing. Uh, the character is uh, Hachimaru. He's our he's our our hero, uh, but he's in real life a very weak, frail kid. Uh, he's got uh, one artificial uh, arm and one artificial leg. Uh, his real bo- the rest of his body that is not you know artificial prosthetics uh, is very frail uh, and brittle. He actually like, you know, when he wins this game, he like pumps his fist in victory and accidentally knocks it against the the ceiling above him. And he's worried that he's broken a bone. So, yeah. Um, he's got a strained relationship with his father because his father keeps him constantly hooked up by necessity to the 
core that powers their house so that it accesses uh, so that he can get so that he can survive, basically, because he is so uh, sickly that he can't survive without it. Uh, he's also, you know, really sick of having to get food through these uh, UV drips. Uh, and also he has a dog that uh, meows like a cat. We all have those, really. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he wants to go outside and his father's like, well, until I'm finished with your portable version of this thing, then uh, this mobile life preservation device, then you'll be able to do that. But until it's finished, then you're going to have to stay here. And he sets off to get what he says to himself is the last part. Once he gets this, then his son will actually be able to go out and be happier. And he's going to get this from basically a mob boss uh, who is also a samurai. This universe's version of a samurai, which is specifically a cyborg, a cybernetic soldier. Um, they do kind of follow this code of Bushido, but the thing that separates, as they say, a samurai from just a Bushi is this cybernetic uh, capability, the ability to transform their bodies and heal, cut off limbs and all sorts of good stuff. And he basically forces a guy to commit seppuku uh, that has failed him. So... He's evil. Yay. He's a bad dude. No good ombre, Nick. Don't trust him. And uh, we see that as this is this meeting between uh, between the father and this samurai is going on. Hashimaru comes across this strange ball. His his dog goes out to play fetch and he ends up coming instead bring back this large ball that has markings along uh, along it, which uh, Hachimaru identifies as a Dharma. And so because it's Dharma, you're supposed to make a wish upon it. So he wishes that he can become a samurai. And also he thinks to himself and also, you know, please let my dad come back home safe and sound. And the Dharma unfurls and it's actually the cloak of this little fox, cat, dog, mostly cat creature uh, named Dharma. And he says, like, ah, oh, so you care about your family and also you know the difference between a Bushi and a samurai. So, OK, so we get to know these characters a little bit more. We cut over to the samurai talking with uh, Hachimaru's dad, and uh, he gives a long explanation of how samurai work and how their power is drawn from that spinal column core in the middle of their bodies. Uh, and he also says that it is possible for this core to be rejected by the body. And if it's rejected, then you die. That's it. That's the main point of all that he says. Um, Hachimaru is talking, has a long conversation with this uh, cat who uh, is actually named Dharma. And he does some cool things while they're talking. Like he takes like a toy katana of Hachimaru's and cuts his cup in half uh, so that he can drink out of it more comfortably because he's a cat. Um, and he lectures him by saying that, uh, the most important things in life are not found where one can see them. They hide behind illusions and deception. Samurai view matters with the mind's eye and true nature is often that which is hidden as in my case, because his true nature was hidden behind his cloak. He looked like a ball. And also even his true nature is not this cat body that he is in. But, um, the samurai shows up because he has basically 
determined that Hachimaru's father knows where one of the keys is, one of the seven keys of legend that unlocks the secret to to Pandora's box and all this stuff. And he basically just kind of puts his hand on Hachimaru's father's head and is like, accessing memories, target acquired. And that's it. All right, let's go. (laughs) Reading minds is easy. (laughs) This is sweet. So they head off and they invade Hachimaru's home. Uh, Dharma tries to fight them off. Uh, but it doesn't go so well um, because they've got Hachimaru's dad at sword sword point and uh, the other guy is a samurai as well. Uh, and he does this thing where I'm not sure exactly what happens, but basically another aspect of being a samurai. <laughs> See, there's all this stuff that you have a holder, this kind of animal robot thing that follows them around basically is their memory and supplies them with weapons and such and it shoots dharma with a laser arrow thing that pins him to to the wall behind him uh and then he steps on hachimaru's dog and breaks it apart and when hachimaru tries to stop him he just kind of gets yanked back to the ground by all the wires coming and cables coming out of his back and so the guy's like i the code to the key is hidden inside of you. He hid it inside you. And the key is attached to your heart. So if your heart starts stops beating, then that is the code to unlock it. So here, use this to commit seppuku. I'll spare your dad if you do. Yeah. Come on, <laughs> be cool. But Hachimaru says like, okay, well, if you promise to spare my father, then I'll do it. And he says, and the, and the samurai says, I have not forgotten my honest ways because, and I am still a samurai heart. I will hold my, I will hold my, hold my word. But his father, of course, doesn't want this to happen. He says, you know, no, don't, don't do, do this. Don't do this for me. And he says, like, come on, you know, I, this entire time you've said you've, that you hated me and that you wanted me to leave you alone. Why would you do this? And Hachimura is like, of course I love you. And he's crying while he does this. And he stabs himself, kills himself, uh, falls to the ground. The samurai is able to gain the key and it takes the form of a famed Takatsuna, a crimson blade that they call the bloodsucker. <gasps> it's a super powerful sword. It's awesome. And so he's like, all right, bye. <laughs> they just leave all the corpses there. It's like, well, that's that's nice. <laughs> But what's this? Oh, it's glowing. And oh, my gosh. And oh, and Hachimaru is brought back to life and he don't need glasses anymore. And his and his body is repaired because everything forms around around his artificial limbs, the new body, the way that samurai can just take on new forms. And uh, Dharma comes to and he says, uh, you have become a samurai. Uh, and he says, all right, look, listen, you know, you've got to keep on acting. Put your hand on your dog, Hayataro, and now wish for the form he is meant to have. He is your holder just for you. So take good care of him. And Hayataro turns into basically a bigger version of himself this you know, sparkly kind of liquidy giant dog that goes meow. So uh, and so they go off to save uh, Achimaru's father and they have a fight Um and I will say this at this point, certain times in this in this story, it's really difficult to tell what the fuck happens. So, for example, the samurai summons a bunch of armor to protect himself. He's, you know, looks like a proper like shogun warlord with heavy armor. Hachimaru can't get through it and protect and actually do damage to him. And then a laser blast happens 
and the armor flies off and the guy falls to the ground and Dharma says, now you can cut him. It's like, okay, where'd that laser blast come from? Because I literally do not know. Did it come from from his dog? Did it come from Dharma himself? I, I don't know where the blast came from. I would assume from Dharma, but yeah, it is t- it's tough to tell. Because I can't tell if, like, because there's a this hole. Comes page. There's a hole in the back of his armor, and I can't tell if that hole was always there or if that hole was supposed to be the exit wound of the shot Daruma fired. I don't know. Like, it's, it's sort of weird. Like, the blast came from Hachimaru's right, and Dharma, when we next see him, is at Hachimaru's right. So, seemingly, the blast came from him. But there is not an establishing shot so that we know that for certain. And then they have the big final sword clash. It is basically a, a repetition of what we saw Hachmar do in his video game where they do the sword strike and he actually sacrifices one arm so that he can actually get him with his offhand weapon. And that's the one that did his damage. And it's the weapon that he uses is actually a cane that his father had made for him so that he could get around more easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we don't actually see him strike with that weapon or a flashback, you know, an instantaneous replay or whatever flashback so that we can see it striking. We just see the damage that we see during their clash is Hachimaru's arm fly off. And then in the next shot, the other samurai has collapsed and that's it. And I know that that's kind of a thing with like, you know, the old school samurai clashes thing that's, oh, it looks like one guy is, is the one who got the worst of it. No, the other one is getting been struck with a fatal blow and he's finished. But you don't even see like his wound or anything <laughs> like it's really frustrating to not have the visual communication of the idea of what happens. Mm-hmm. But uh, Hachimaru is triumphant. Dharma says this is the real you. You will no longer be staying on the sidelines. Now you can take action and it's time to go to your father. Cause they have actually got to go and save him from the samurai's minions. And uh, they do that. And Dharma thinks to himself as this is going on on the eighth trimester, I finally found the one. His name is Hachimaru and he's the real key. My calling seemed to be seven steps forward and eight steps back, but now it's more like seven times fallen, eight times risen. There are six keys remaining the journey ahead will be long and arduous, but perhaps with him at my side. And that's the end of the chapter. Now, I am sure that because this is freaking the creator of Naruto's new manga, that Shonen Jump is going to give him as much opportunity for the series to succeed as they can. Yeah. Um, so we're probably going to be getting this for longer than just the standard 20 chapters, even if it turns out to be really bad. Um, it's I like some of the aesthetics of the series so far, but there needs to be more of that. You you know, delivery of you have to know what the hell is going on just by looking at the art instead of just reading the reactions to it. Otherwise, it's going to be a little bit more difficult to get into it. I think that. Uh, Kishimoto has some really strong ideas so far. Uh, it's clear that he's got a lot of info and lore and stuff prepped for this, and a lot of it is good. Um, but it's still too early to tell uh, yeah. exactly how good this is going to be. I, I don't. I, I think it's got premise or uh, promise to it. I, <laughs> I I do like it having a different sort of aesthetic, although it's a. It still feels very 
close to Naruto in a way, the futuristic aspect does help at least set it apart from like the other jump battle series currently running right now. Yes. Which is appreciated. I think it's a little too heavy in its own lore right now. Mm. There's a lot of stuff that kind of feels like stuff I'm, I need to like memorize or understand in this world rather than kind of incrementally dealing that out over the first like sequence of chapters. But I mean, I, I am excited to see where this goes, but I'm not like I'm not in yet on this series, if that makes right. sense. I, I, at this point, I'm kind of like it's there. And as you said, because it's Kishimoto behind it. There's no chance it's not going to get a very long run and jump regardless of quality. So I know that we're kind of in this for the long haul, most likely. So I'm kind of tentative on it, but I I will note that I'm I'm not I'm not against the series or anything. It it just it hasn't hooked me. And maybe that's due in small part to it being a 73 chapter page uh, first chapter. Mm-hmm. And it's it is kind of nice to have that, you know, it's the, it was the same way with Eden Zero, uh, where it's just like, well, we're going to get this for a while. So might as well not have might as well be patient with it and know that there's going to be a chance for it to really show what it can do. Um, and we know, I think I think that we have less of a good idea of how good the series is going to be because Kishimoto was more inconsistent mm-hmm. uh, with the quality of his series. Like with with Eden Zero, it's like, well, I mean, it's probably going to be Fairy Tale again. Yeah. And it was. <laughs> <laughs> who knows what it could be? But even if this series is Naruto again, well, who knows what that means? Like it could be any number of things because that went all over the place. Um, but I do think that you can definitely tell that there is a lot of good ideas in this uh, right now. How those will be executed remains to be seen. So. Let's move on from here to talk about uh, the last Sayuki. I'll get a break in a second. Hang on. It's chapter 10, Tokaishu Enchanted Land. It's a lot of exposition in this chapter, but it's honestly not that difficult for me to summarize it because there are just certain important beats that we need to hit here. Uh, this chapter primarily deals with uh, Ryomaru, uh, Ryonosuke rather, meeting the two people who showed up at the end of his little fight with Sai. Uh, first is the magical girl that we saw uh, posing with herself at the end of the last chapter. Her name is Estelle, uh, and she um, is a Nyoibo fighter. Her master is named Nero Furuka, and he is a, is, is a grown man, despite the fact that he looks like a weird little kid. Hmm. Um and she re- re- first off is that she you know reassures Rinosuke by saying like what we were actually brought out first to do was to defeat the Narari Han of your friends that Sai had you know set upon them. But Master realized that something was going on at your place, and so we actually left that to other uh, Nyoibo users so that we could help you. But don't worry, they're all fine. Um, and she starts to say like I know that you probably think that it's weird and silly for me to be acting like an anime character and Rinosuke is just like like, you're a disgrace (laughs) get out of (laughs) my house (laughs) well he's like I watch that show sometimes but you know actually you know seeing you in that costume you know was an immediate reassurance to me that you're a good person which is a little kid way of seeing things definitely he's like no one evil would cosplay (laughs) but 
that actually goes hand in hand with something very important that Estelle tells him later on. So I think that that's actually, you know, a nice note to include in their conversation. Uh, So, um, but this also leads to kind of a a nice little connection between the two of them because like he gets her uh, basically. Um, So uh, she takes him uh, through the village that they're in, which is uh, basically the hub world in a video game. It's like now here you can see all the other people's character avatars as they go in between missions. Uh, she says that uh, currently um, his sister and father are in Dairon Kaku, the big egg palace, which is this odd dome shaped building off on the horizon. Uh, she ref- refers to this place as the Tokaishu Alliance's stronghold. And there is a very powerful barrier surrounding it that keeps, you know, monsters out. And says she says that only people who can have permission to be here can be here. And she says, here, there are Nyoibo users and they can practice and research and all that stuff. And he says, why are there so many people dressed in costumes? And she explains, OK, well, you, like all other Nyoibo users, have had your mo opened. You've. We, you have become desensitized to fear, but that doesn't mean you can't experience fear. And when you experience fear, you can generate another monster immediately if that happens. That is why we project onto ourselves the strongest people we can think of. People might think it's silly that we're psyching ourselves up like this, but it works to suppress our fears. And someday you will need that too, an image of strength to overcome your fear. And this is a really good explanation of why we're going to get strange character designs in the future. And I do really appreciate it. It's like, yeah, this may be, you know, about like people using extendo stats and stuff, but that doesn't mean that there won't be a guy who is a robot that also has nunchucks. So <laughs> I'm robot samurai knight. It was the strongest thing I could think of. And so, Hey, if you think that that's a, a strong image, then you'll get that. If you, if there's going to be a, you know, a, a guy here who just, you know, has nails in his mouth, maybe he thinks that gives him strength, whatever, you know? So, um, they reunite with uh, Koharu, uh, and Rinosuke starts talking with Furuka for a bit. And he explains that, uh, Rinosuke's father is, uh, kind of in timeout right now basically um he he did basically he took kohara away from where she was being kept here uh but he believes that he did it for a reason uh he's like i know your father really well um and i know that you know he had his reason for doing this and that's why i went and helped him out uh, just now but even so you know he's got to answer to the alliance because he did a bad uh, in their eyes we get more of an explanation of the connection between Koharu and Sai, or more specifically, K, her previous form, and Sai. And there is playing with kanji. This is how, see, their their names were combined together and made one symbol. Ooh. <laughs> and that's where you get Son Goku. Hey. I, I, I would love it if they just, like, there was, like, a small note. Because, you know, like, Scanlations would often put, like, a translator note. It's, like, translator <laughs> note. This wasn't actually a bubble. It's just like ink on a page or some shit like that. I wanted them to put like something down there. Translation note. Doesn't work in English. Sorry, buddies. Just <laughs> it's a very complicated language. Listen, if you don't realize that this is a, that this is taking place in Japan, then shut up. <laughs> There's one guy who's just like, 
hey now wait a minute <laughs> I, I know of all sorts of Shinto shrines in, down here in Louisiana <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm starting to think that this isn't taking place in Wisconsin <laughs> hey my son Kiyomaru get in here get in here Kiyomaru <laughs> I don't think that last Sayuki is going to take place in my town Oh man. Um, we also get a, a smaller explanation that is probably not as important to the grand scheme of the series, but is going to be very important for the next little mini arc that we're getting, uh, which is that humans fear misfortune that has unknown causes. So when you know you you feel like there's something there when there really isn't. If you get an illness and you don't know uh, what what caused it, if you get an injury that you that you don't remember what caused it. In ancient times, people thought these incidents were the works of monsters, and they used that reasoning to mitigate their fears. But in the past, humans were more easily open, and nowadays we have science and such. We can actually explain things that we can't see. But fears we couldn't see back then were more easily materialized into monsters. And if the root of an illness is materialized into a monster, what do you think happens if you defeat it? What happens to the sick person? The root of the illness disappears and the sick person is cured. Some people can actually be saved by the materialization of a monster. But that doesn't mean that the demon lord or of chaos or his followers are just. If an illness is materialized, that means there will be more victims too. So essentially what he says is, the demon lord of chaos is going to try and fix the world by getting rid of all the bad things at the cost of probably millions of lives. So, hmm, there's a uh, it makes it makes them a bit more complicated yeah. when you know that. And following up on what we get there, we see a strange uh, guy with long light hair talking to a man he says oh no no sir you don't have food poisoning what you have is cholera you've been stricken by the tiger wolf and boar so interesting uh it looks like we're going to get you know more ideas for how these creatures are manifested uh by the uh, followers of chaos um and different tactics and reasons for doing so so um, very exposition heavy chapter. It so. is. And I find myself losing more and more interest in this series as the chapters go on. Um, I don't know. This one's just really not catching me for some reason. Mm -hmm. Well, we'll see where it goes. In the meantime, Chris, God, we never learn chapter to talk about. It's that the end. Of, it's the end of the story arc. Hooray. Yes, as we get to question 110, Spirits on the Sand Draw Tomorrow's Pizza Bet Part 4. <laughs> so, last time... Oh, I always forget that you do that. <laughs> Asumi is, was very upset because the Komenami Clinic's gonna close, and she spends some nice time with Uega about it, but at the end, she's, she's still very upset, so Uega picked her up and <laughs> placed, her, placed her on the bed, and she's like, what are you um, doing? <laughs> and he's like, Senpai, you said you liked this bed, didn't you? And he's like, he's kind of leaning over top of her. Let me just take this off. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, I did say that. And like, and Oh, yeah. Yeah, show me how much I like the bed. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, but that was just when I was a kid. What are you doing? And he's like. I'll remind you of when you were a kid. Um, not. No, no, no. 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 Wow, you wake up. You're. 
No, dirty you're just reading that. That's, that's not hot. <laughs> your dirty talk is terrible. Um, What's dirty talk, senpai? <laughs> <laughs> so she's like, yeah, you know, but that was that was back then. And he, so you guys like, so then where is it? She's like, where's what? What the fuck are you talking about? She's like, if your dream was born in a clinic, then what's the source? And she's like, uh, I don't know. Yuriga has kind of a strained look upon his face. And she's like, well, you, your face is really weird. And your posture, you're, you're kind of really close. Are you are you getting an erection, Yuriga? <laughs> no! <laughs> no, stop, stop looking! And he, he gets closer and closer. And he's like, actually, when I carried you over to the bed, I think I threw up my back. <laughs> and I'm like, I love it! He's such a nerd! <laughs> In every other fucking manga, it would have been a cool moment. But for him, he's like, ah, my back! <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Whenever you see me with my shirt off, they're all just show muscles. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very fragile. <laughs> so, uh, Senpai, why didn't you jump when I picked you up? <laughs> I, del- I lifted with my back. Was that right? <laughs> Exclusively. <laughs> Uh, she's like, oh my god, you're a fucking loser. She, she goes up and grabs him in a hug, and then it's like, oh, what a weird moment. Then she cracks his back, basically, and then, like, judo flips him onto the bed. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, I just I learned that trick from my dad. He used to help to have to help a lot of old guys with their backs, so there that's you go. Why he's a, that's why he's a black belt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he has a black belt, so it's it's a very iconic, not like a, a like, he has a brown belt, too. He just refers them to brown, one. that's all. <laughs> Uh, so after that, she's like, I guess to answer your question, the thing that like my dream kind of connected to was the patient smiles. Like everyone who came into my dad's clinic, you know, he brought a smile to their faces. He helped them out. And I was so proud of him. And that's really what I wanted. I wanted to take that baton from my dad and continue giving people those smiles. And Uega is just like, wow, you're really the same. And he, he thinks to a conversation he had with, uh, Ashumi's mom. When he asked her why she works overseas, and she says, well, I guess it's because I wanted to be a doctor who could focus on my patients, and some of them were kind of outside the country. Like, there's a lot of people out there who need, like, good doctors, and I wanted to help them. I I, I was inspired by Sojiro. I didn't, like, it wasn't like I was leaving him and thinking he was doing anything wrong. It's just that was the kind of work I felt I needed to do. So... The important part of being a doctor and, and this kind of work isn't the location, it's the heart. And you wake yeah. this ooh, thing ooh, ooh, that uh. exists in the space between us. Yeah. It's full page. The heart. <laughs> <laughs> Never letting that go. And then uh Yeah, he basically, you know, explains that to Sumi and she's like, Wow, I guess hmm. She's like, so I, you know, I, I can't do anything else. I, I don't know anything else I could do to help ease the pain of you use in this place. And if you're really so discouraged that you want to give up on med school, I'll still support you in whatever you choose. But, mm-hmm. and then he pulls out his camera and he, he shows her all these photos that he took of the, the doctor day that she spent at the uh, the maid cafe where she actually ended up mostly just actually diagnosing people. It wasn't mm-hmm. even fetishy. She's like, I, I think you're sick. <laughs> you, you, have, uh, you have stage four leukemia. <laughs> you need to go to a hospital immediately. 
What? <laughs> Everyone was having a great time until that guy just collapsed and died there. And now. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he basically knows. He's like, yeah, you know, I recognize like you took really good care of everyone there. And I recognize the smiles that everyone has there. And then he pulls out the drawing that she made as a child that uh, at some point he must have fished out of the river. Uh, and he's like, I'm going to say something harsh right now. Even if this clinic closes, it's not the end of the world or the end of your dreams. Your dreams started with the smiles of these patients. So this building, this clinic, it doesn't matter. Because what matters is the joy and the smiles that you give to the people who you help. And he's like, and in that way, you've picked up the baton of your father really well. Oh my god, assume we marry him. (laughs) It's so fucking sweet, Chris. It's it's monumentally sweet, so much so that Asumi starts involuntarily just she just starts crying. Like Yeah, like she manages to like keep keep her composure, except for the fact that her eyes are flooding. Like (laughs) she is not able to control it. She's like, it's like I'm sad. Why can't I stop crying? Stop looking at me! Stop looking! And you can see her parents are, like, outside listening in as this is happening. Uh, but eventually she stops crying, and then we cut away, and the next shot we see is her putting up a notice of closure. Well, there's a cute little bit of narration that Yuiga has as he's, like, patting her head to comfort her. Yeah. Uh, which I love because he's like, stop hugging me, and don't stop patting my head. <laughs> I need but, this. But he says, when I saw the tears streaming down her face, for some reason, it seemed to me like she had finally stopped crying. So, Aww. So, so notice of closure. Yeah. So she goes up, she hangs up the notice of closure, and she's like, yeah, I mean, it's sad, but you're right. This is kind of what we need to do. And then her dad walks up with a marker, and it says on there, like, the Kominami Clinic's going to close on March 31st. And then he walks up, and he's like, squirka, squirka, squirka. And he's like, it's only going to be open on weekends. <laughs> she's like, what the fuck are you doing? He's like, well, I'm just saying, like, you know, if I only have to work weekends, I could be able to do it. Plus... The, the hospital by here isn't open on weekends. It's closed on weekends. So anyone who's sick is going to need a place to go in. So there's still a thing I could do there. And he's like, hey, and I've said before, there's more to life than being a doctor. But I still want to do what I could do. And uh, he, like, kind of walks away. And, you know, we'll see if he's like, oh, my dad's so cool. And he turns to him, he's like, and don't you be giving more problems to that sweet boy near Yuki. <laughs> She's like, we listen at the door. He's like, I wanted to hear the moment of conception. You're like, you're so weird. Why are all the dads in this series weird? He doesn't say that. I added that on, but <laughs> felt realistic, probably. But yeah, she's like, hey, you know, thanks, you, you know, Uega, you, you really helped me out with this. Uh, maybe, maybe this is the time I should give you a kiss. And Uega's just like, ha ha, sure thing. Fool me 11 times, shame on you, but the 12th time, that shall be a shame on you, Ega. Uh, and then she she leans in, she kisses him on the cheek. And then she still does, like, she still teases him afterwards. Like, she's right like, by his mouth. Yeah, just teases him. She's like, oh, did you think it was going to be a kiss on the lips? He's like, why do you, why must you do this to me? <laughs> well, she says, she also tries to play it off like, it's like, just kidding. And he's like, ah! And she's like, I said I was just kidding. 
king. He's like, what do you mean, Death King? What was that? <laughs> it's a very, very sweet chapter. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I love it. Very ends to this. It's a very satisfying end to this uh, little story. Uh, pretty much a nice conclusion to Asumi's arc, although I think there might be a little bit more for her. Uh, and um, but she's definitely grown a lot from this, uh, learning what she really wants to do with her life. And uh, hey, it's you know if you're in it for the you know who's go- who's going to end up with Yuiga things like well this was a really nice demonstration of how they've grown much closer together. Um, and you could definitely buy if you were if uh, if you're trying to guess the conclusion, you could definitely buy like oh I guess maybe he could end up with Susumi. Um, so, but more than anything, it's just a really sweet, uh, sequence of events in this chapter with Yuga helping her get back on her feet and make this Yeah. I, I like what this chapter did. Like, I, I think this chapter was a really good showcase of, uh, of, of, I always forget his name. Uh, the author's name. Tsutsui Taishi. Yeah, that's it. Tsutsui. Uh, of his writing because this was a really well written chapter because I was worried when we first started this that because anytime there's like a situation where it's like oh no our local homegrown family owned business is not doing well and will likely have to close and I the young hero protagonist character will be very sad if that happens situation comes up in the story it's almost always like well, I'll we take need, it over now. Yeah. yeah, we'll we'll need to beat the evil Monopoly Corporation in a scheme contest to help keep our store open or something like that. And I like how the message in this one was like, no, nah, I mean, the clinic is nice, but it's not actually what matters here. And what really matters is like the the heart of what you're trying to do. And that could be anywhere. So I, I do like that. The ultimate message here wasn't like, oh, uh, hey, we helped earn enough money and find enough patience for your clinic that your dad will keep running it 24 seven or anything like that. The message almost seems to be a kind of like a liberating message for uh, Komanami in the future. Like Mm -hmm. she can go forward now in a new direction, potentially, even if the clinic's still there as an option, she might actually find something more valuable to seek after. And I I think that's really inspiring. And it's, it's nice that, you know, she gets to carry on this thing that she's believed in all of her life while kind of letting go of the, a more childish aspect of it. Like, yeah, no, you didn't need specifically for it to be in this building. So and I, I it's such a small moment, but I always loved little details like how Uwig is like, hey, look, I get it. Like, you're really frustrated right now and I, I don't have all the answers. So if you really do want to give up. I'm still going to support you in anything you do. And that feels like such an important little message to like put in there at the end where it's just him being like, no matter what, I'm still sticking with you. So if you, if like this doesn't change your mind or anything like that, you still have my support. It's a very important message, I think, to share. Mm -hmm. All right. Let's move on from there and talk about Dr. Stone. Z equals 104 men of forensics. Um, so this chapter happened. Uh, it's really weird because we see just like a completely dialogue free 
uh, you know, Gin and Soyuz, you know, coming down from spying that everyone's been petrified. They run and they tell Kohaku and Senku. Senku gets this really serious look on his face. Like, mm. And the rest of the chapter is them kind of goofing off. <laughs> <laughs> like they've got they, they have to they realize that they basically have to pit lay detective from here. Um, and in order to do that, they have to do more inventing and it really, it carries on the spirit of the journal series, which is just like, Hey, science can solve all of our problems and it's really cool. Let's do it. But it's really weird that we go from like all of our friends are in mortal danger to like, let's go and save them. (laughs) Yeah. Just changing to very upbeat tone. So they do a bunch of stuff. Uh, and between Senku's science and Gen's ability uh, ability as a mentalist, he figures out that they're looking for a, a young woman. Uh, and then they use Kohaku's physical abilities uh, to help create a centrifuge. And uh, with all the stuff that they have gathered together, Gen sends Kohaku off. And she uses her absurd eyesight to eventually uh, try and track down this this woman who um, has very weird hair. I think it's supposed to be like braided into those corn, into like a dread, dreads almost. Yeah, it's it's a very distinct hairstyle, but uh, Jesus, her eyes are fucking massive. Like I know it's <laughs> always like a comment joke, like when it comes to like anime drawings, but they're fucking huge. And of course, they have no idea what the what it's going to be like when they find uh, this person. Kohaku uh, thinks that ah, oh, it's, it's a descendant of that tribe of survivors, the tribe that Ishigami Village branched off from. Uh, and of course, they don't know what they're going to to do when they actually do track her down. They're like, maybe she's going to be an enemy. Maybe she'll be an ally. One way or another, we've got to get answers out of her. But the scene that they stumble upon, Chris, it's a bunch of guys trying to marry her because she's Whoa! so beautiful. Oh. All of our friends are stone right now. We need to save them. (laughs) Well, hey, Nick, maybe these two new characters have a hilarious gimmick to them beyond the fact that they want to marry her. Like, maybe, like, one will say, like, huh? And then the other one's like, huh? And then the last one's like, huh? (laughs) Like, that'll be, like, their weird gimmick, and they become, like... Oh, Inagaki would never do such a trite thing. (laughs) No, no, never. But maybe they have a better gimmick than that. <laughs> what? I can't imagine. Maybe one's like a really powerful running back. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, it's crazy to think. So nobody. So he's the final bad guy. <laughs> maybe he just, you know, like, I don't know, is fast. <laughs> <laughs> maybe he's just. He's maybe like, he's a quarterback who can run fast. <laughs> wait, what? They have those? Maybe oh, no. he's a wide receiver who punches you if you try to cover him. <laughs> I forgot who would just fist punch you. <laughs> Maybe he's a linebacker who drops into coverage and he's really tall. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, you don't understand. They don't make them six foot eleven. I was like, yeah, because usually those kind of people, like, if you're that tall, I don't think your bones could support yourself. <laughs> 
He would be a terrible linebacker. <laughs> he would not be able to actually have the muscular mass to stop anyone, and a running back would just lower his shoulders and bowl him over on his scrawny ass. <laughs> Wait a minute, Nick. You're implying that there are running backs in professional football who are taller than five foot eight. <laughs> Is that a thing? Do they have those? There's one in Japan. Just one. Oh. All right. Um, I'm, I'm that. That's Doctor Stone. <laughs> it's. It's it's honestly an off-putting chapter, and it's really weird when I read a chapter of Doctor Stone. I'm just kind of like, well, that was weird and not actually very good. So I'm sure yeah. it'll get better again soon, but because in, it rarely stays down for long. But in the meantime, we're going to talk about Seven Deadly Sins, Chapter Three Hundred Nine, Epilogue Three, and there are two chapters. Oh man, this week. so many chapter, so many epilogue chapters, Chris. We've got to be near the end of Seven Deadly Sins. There's nothing wow. else to tell in the story. Like, just you wait, Nick. Maybe there's an epilogue page four, because if not, I don't know. That's got to be, gotta be it. That's the only thing that could, that could happen, right? Yeah. So in this chapter, uh, we, we kind of have this is actually a really short chapter. It's kind of almost yes. uh, like a joke to call it a full chapter. It's basically just kind of a little bit of the fallout of the fact that last chapter, both Elizabeth and Melodius were pretty upfront with the fact that Melodius has to leave soon. So that relationship can't possibly continue. And uh, they're they're hanging out at the boar hat and everyone's kind of in this weird mood because that revelation's been dropped. Everyone's like, mm, that's kind of weird. So Elizabeth's like, everyone seems sad. And then Melodius just drives face first into her chest and starts slapping her tits. And he starts talking. He's just like, eh, they're just tired from that supply run. And well, he says that while slapping her breasts. I I have to wonder because we don't see Meliodas's head go between her breasts. We just see that he's there between them. So I have to wonder if there's if the chapter where everyone is awkwardly standing around not knowing what to say, if he's already there <laughs> when she talks. <laughs> he's just like, I wonder why everyone looks so uncomfortable right now. <laughs> Why do you think everyone looks so awkward? You think something happened? Anyway, let's have sex in front of them. <laughs> let's start banging on this table. Guys, why do you look so weird right now? <laughs> I'm the deadly sin of Lane Pipe. So gross. You can, you can head back to the demon world now. <laughs> we'll... We won't miss this, but we'll miss you. Yeah, I <laughs> forgot there's part. a side of you that's not heroic at all. It is just creepy and weird. <laughs> uh, so we, we get like a little flashback to when Diane was discovering this news and she's really upset about it. She's like, no, how how are you? How could you say this? It's OK, the person you love is going to disappear from the world. If, if it were me, I, I, I couldn't bear it. It'd be unthinkable. And she's like, oh, oh. thank God. The, thank God the king and I are going to like be able to live all of our lives and grow old together and have kids and, you know, go to, go to a re retirement community and play shuffleboard. And just, <laughs> yeah. Like Elizabeth's just like, Hey, get a house together. <laughs> like it must suck for you. You and Elizabeth's just like, you know, if he forces himself to stay here, then it'll bring trouble. You know, nothing we could do about it. And uh, Diane calls her heartless. She's like, you're so heartless. I can't believe you're able to think this way. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, there's 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 a conversation that also happens on, like, 
the men's side of things where they're just like, yeah, you know, and hey, I'm going to open up maybe a tavern down there for the first time. Like, I just, I have to go there. And uh, Hawk's like, have you even told Elizabeth about this? And he's like, (laughs) she knows. He's like, oh, felt like, you know, it'd be sad if I told her. Like, I feel like she'd really, really sad. So I'm just going to kind of wing it. I don't like being around sad people. <laughs> I was like, so it, I, I think I've told maybe very briefly some stories about my cousin Sean before on the show. And my cousin Sean is notorious to me because he constantly <laughs> cannot stop himself from dating two to three women at the same time. God. Constantly. <laughs> and it's always the question of like, don't you worry that like one of them's going to post something on Facebook that's like a picture of you or something like that. He's like, I got these biddies under control. You don't need to worry about it. And then I get a panic text from him at two in the morning. He's like, she posted something on Facebook. Oh, God. And I'm like, it's just weird. You're so casually cool about this. Like, I don't think there's going to be a problem. I don't think there's going to be anything to worry about. They wouldn't do that. They wouldn't be, you know, a living person in the year 2019. <laughs> I, I bet this will just casually go just fine. I figure, if I, work out. I figure if I don't address the situation until the absolutely most last minute of vital times, then it'll all just work out for itself. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so they then they headed over to this giant pit. They're like, yeah, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta do something down here. So Melodius and Elizabeth fly down in this pit. And they're like, oh, hey, this is that pit that was opened, like, a really long time ago. We we kind of addressed this. And uh, there's a vampire in this giant orb whose name is Geldon. We know who Geldon is because it's mm-hmm. the name Zeldris has mentioned very several times. So Lodius opens up the spear and we see Gelda. And she's like, huh, well, I made a bet with myself that if the first person I saw when this seal was opened was Zeldris, then I would never leave his side. But since it's not you, since it's not him, I guess I'll just give up and just die. <laughs> and anyway, like, he just curls up into a ball. <laughs> she's like, so goodbye forever. <laughs> like, buries herself in the sand. Just, like, sticks her head under underground like an ostrich. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, instead, uh, Melodius is like, no, Zeldris. No, 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 hang on. <laughs> Zeldris still cares about you. I just don't know where he is. It's basically explained that Zeldris disappeared at the end of the battle. And Melodius actually still feels really bad about this because he's like, once again, I kind of missed my opportunity to help my brother out. But he is still alive out there. So Gelda starts flying away and she's like, all right, well, I'll find him no matter where he is, even if he's not in this world. And uh, she starts saying something like, you, if anybody, know how I feel, don't you, Elizabeth? Mm-hmm. So it's like, how do you know about me? She's like, bitch, please. Everyone knows <laughs> everyone. about you. Oh, honey. <laughs> bitch, everyone knows about you. <laughs> and she flies away then. Yeah, pretty so, much. Yeah. So we go, we cut back to the boar's head and, uh, or the boar's hat. And we see, uh, the king of the Leonis is like, oh, Melodious, captain of the seven deadly sins and the dragon sin of lane pipe. I have a favor to ask of you before everybody. 
I'm Will so- you lay your pipe in my daughter? He's like, I'm not sure what that term means. I assume something with skateboarding. I got a couple dope t-shirts made of it. No, no, dad, that's half piping, you old man. Oh, I made a lot of coffee mugs that said it. I, I, I made a I baby made a lot of coffee mugs that said my future son-in-law is the king of laying pipe, thinking that he was really ace at skateboarding. It has a little skateboard at the bottom with him riding across on Look at him go, wee! <laughs> Look, if you turn the mug to one side, he goes down. Don't, don't turn it too much or it won't go back, though. It's, it's kind of cheap. Oh, this leaves an entirely different context for the sub-quote where he says, they're all going to eat asphalt. (laughs) (laughs) I just thought that was some cool, you know, extreme 90, like early 2000s flair. Like, you remember the Ratchet and Clank games? Like, they just got more aggressively kind of in your face with innuendo. Kind of like that. So you're just talking about fucking my daughter all this time. <laughs> you're a scum. You're I a goddamn pig. I was going to offer you the goddamn kingdom, but you're a disgusting monster. <laughs> uh, no, he, he offers him the basically the kingdom. He's like, please uh, marry Elizabeth to become the new king. And Leo just uh, has a spit take. Yeah, and everyone's like, what the fuck? He's like, I, I'm old. Look at me. <laughs> I look fucking 90. <laughs> I would never be able to lay pipe like you, which actually makes it makes sense both ways now that I think about it. Yeah. I mean, maybe I could still learn skateboard at this point, but the, the actual <laughs> pipe, that I'm not laying that anymore. <laughs> oh, fuck's sake. Uh, he, he mentions, he's like, I asked Margaret and Gilthunder, but they both declined, saying they're not cut out for the job. <laughs> and I can't crown on Grimoire Veronica. Basically, like, they suck. <laughs> so what do you say like i hope that i assume there's no objections and elizabeth's actually like um so no i can't because i'm gonna go with the demon world with melodious and everyone's like it's like a full spread <laughs> everyone like Ugh! and i i love two things one i love that merlin doesn't have that expression like she's kind of one of these characters who seems to be always like at a confident level on stuff so i like that there's one person in this group who is as far as but the second thing i love is that the second shot they do is to slater who's wearing a steel mask so there's <laughs> no expression on his face like it's like the it's like the king who's like Aah! and then steel mask guy and then everyone else is like Aah! like it's just I don't know why you would immediately cut to the dude who has no facial expressions. Also, I want to point out that, um, like, a couple of things. One is that uh, one one of the girls is having just a very, like, oh, oh my. That's that's her reaction. And we don't really get a good idea of what King's reaction was because Diana has, like, shouldered him out of the way to make her reaction. (laughs) Uh, that's the first of the two chapters yeah so the second chapter is going to be chapter 310 and i set the way for the page to load but the pay the chapter is called the end or farewell seven deadly sins so this is our farewell chapter the final chapter of seven deadly sins definitely uh the chapter like they're saying farewell like that was cool like the epilogue was a build-up to kind of establish that this is the, the way the series is ending so we get a final chapter to kind of say goodbye to all these characters yeah and uh 
We start the chapter with Elizabeth and she's packing up her bags. She's with the lean and she has this kind of like heart shaped satchel that she's like, mm-hmm. I put everything I needed in here. And like leans like, aren't you scared? Like the demon world is a hellscape. Like there's nothing in there, but monsters and horror basically. And she's like, yeah, I mean, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't scared. But now that the curse is lifted, I get to spend my final life as Elizabeth with Melodius, and that's pretty sweet. So, yeah, kind of dope. Like, I'm going to miss everybody. Like, I'm going to miss my father, my sisters, the seven deadly sins, Hawk, you, Diane. Like, I'm I'm really sad I'm going to miss everybody like that. But more important than that right now, Elaine kind of covers her mouth, so she doesn't have to say it. Because we, we know what the, the implication there is. She's like, mm-hmm. Melodius is more important than anything else. But she's like, I get it. I I, I see how much you miss everything else. And I'm I'm going to be sad to lose you, but we're always going to be friends. And I'm really happy for you. Yeah. So uh, we, we then get a scene of Hawk, who is uh, singing as he walks through the snow. And he's singing the song that Wild made for him. And it's a very sweet little moment. Look at that happy pig. Look at how happy he is. He's very happy. He even looks to the sky and he's like, ah, is that how the song went? <laughs> and it's very cute. Nothing could bring my mood down when a moment like this happens in this mm-hmm. chapter. We're all just, no. it's all good moments. So great, great. We, nice we, farewell. We cut over to the, to the boar hat again. And Diane is presumably very drunk at this point and sulking. <laughs> and she's like, Hey Merlin, what's the demon world like? And Merlin's just like, it sucks. <laughs> For the 80th time, the name's pretty literal. It's a hellscape of demons and monsters from which no one can survive. You really need to stop bringing down this knee this evening asking that question. You are killing my buzz right now. We were in the middle of foreigner trivia. And you have come in with this bullshit. And now I don't even want to hear Dirty White Boy anymore. And that's like my fifth favorite foreigner song. <laughs> How dare you ruin this for me? Uh, like, yeah, you know, it's it's kind of crazy. I, I I never really would have thought Elizabeth would have considered that thing for the beginning. And we get kind of like a flashback just showing how confident Elizabeth was in making that. Yeah. Like, you know what? Now that we think about it, the fact that Elizabeth ever chose to be on the side of like a demon at any point just shows her kind of like fearless conviction towards the things yeah. that she cares about. And uh, there's just a moment where Gauthier's like, so is there anything you're going to miss in the world about this world? And I do like how Melodius's only answer is like, now that you mention it, I really would have liked to have seen my kid and Bond's kid fight. And the immediate <laughs> response... such dorks. <laughs> and the immediate response is for Diane and King to both slam the table and be like, what about my kid? <laughs> And I love that Diane literally uses so much strength, she shatters the table beneath their art. <laughs> like, also, she's furious about this. Also, a little detail is that apparently King and Diane use different forms of I in Japanese. Mm. Because that's why that speech bubble would be separated like that. Yeah. I I, I do also just... <laughs> I also enjoy that Bond... Hey! <laughs> Bond doesn't have a reaction. Bond's just like, hmm? Uh. They're the ones who were like, hey, we want our kids to fight. Inside of Bond's head, he's thinking, my kid would win. <laughs> the contest, you fucking kidding me? But he's like, no, there's, there's a lot I'm going to miss, you know, and th- they basically just share a moment. He's like, 
I, I, I'm going to miss everything, but the fighting's come to the stop and all these needless sacrifices and everything, Arthur included. I'm sure he would have made a fine king, which does seem to put a final nail in the coffin that Arthur was killed. Yeah, I mean, it's the final chapter. You it's know, the final no chapter. There's, back. there's yeah. no time. It's sort of like kind of an epilogue to him, like a send off for the character. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Melodia says, he's like, I kind of deserve Like, yeah, the demon world's a hellscape, but I kind of deserve it because I deserted my brother twice in my life, basically, now. So it's kind of what I deserve. And everyone's like, no, that's not true. You've done a lot of things. And everyone in the group's basically like, you saved my life. So they all kind of are like, hey, you know what? You're a great, pe- mm-hmm. you're a great guy, Melodius. And he's like, you know what? Maybe I am, and I'm only right. I'm only here right now, thanks to all. Of I guess I am. He's like, I am pretty cool. I'm the deadly sin of laying pipe, everybody. A blow just drops his dick on the table. And I'm like, God, you ruined that moment. I don't get it. How are you so cool half the time and so fucking awful the other half? It's because I hang out with hashtag Ray on vacations. <laughs> So we cut over to the group when they're basically in the middle of the desert. The gateway has been opened up to the demon world. And uh, Melodius just announced, as of today, the seven deadly sins will be disbanded. And there's this big goodbye. Everyone's saying goodbye to Elizabeth and to Merle or and to Melodius. Melodius kind of mentions, he's like, yeah, it's kind of convenient you opened this in a pretty remote location, didn't you, Merlin? He's like, well, this happens to be the most, like, direct point with the demon world. But yeah, if we had opened it up in a city, it would be pretty fucking weird if someone walked through it, like a citizen got stuck in there. Fucking duh. <laughs> and uh, there's a moment when Hawk's like, hey, I think I might come along, too. I want to see what purgatory is like. Yeah. Well, he says he's going to purgatory and not. Yeah, he's not going world. with them, but he's also going to go away because he, he wants mm-hmm. to go see what purgatory is like he wants to see where he's born and he wants to erect a gravestone for my big brother there like, and there's a moment where diane apologizes to uh elizabeth for calling her heartless yeah. and they like don't you don't apologize we're gonna be friends forever you and king you know you you get along and she starts heading off towards the portal and uh there's a moment then where Elizabeth's like looking up, she's like, "All right, this is my resolve. I regret nothing that's happened, nor for what I've decided to do. So I'm only gonna walk forward with Melodius." And she's like headed towards this this gateway portal, and Melodius like turns and does like a "See you guys later." And then the next page, a giant <laughs> fucking rock comes down and crushes the shit out of Elizabeth, and everyone looks at her mangled body, presumably underneath the rock, and that's the chapter. Jesus Christ, y'all. Not in a million years would I have been able to predict this. Rocks fall, Elizabeth dies. I so wish this was the last chapter because it's almost like an actual execution of one of our jokes of like, oh, it's the super sweet chapter. And right before Apocalypse Dragon comes and kills them. Yeah, like, and right before the last page where it's a full page spread of everyone smiling and waving or some shit like that, a fucking rock falls and crushes Elizabeth. (laughs) Holy shit, it happened. I cannot believe that this happened. Even I, the person who was like, come on, there's going to be another arc after this. Seven holy virtues was like, I guess this is it. We're wrapping up. 
the it's, it's the epilogue. Things are finished. All the c- plot lines are all wrapped up. Nope. What's? <laughs> I don't have any idea what happens from here. Maybe that's the best thing. Because maybe somebody out there is like, well, there was announcement. Like there was never an announcement for the series ending. So you know, who so knows? She's in before there's an announcement, guys. Yeah. <laughs> or, or things like that. I have no idea. I have no idea if it's like there's going to be a new arc. The story continues. If it's just like a two chap. Like if there's a second epilogue of like. All right, well, I guess I go back to the demon world fucking alone because Elizabeth got squished by a rock. Right. I mean, like, the big thing was the fact that Meliodas literally used the demon king's power to undo the curses on them. We saw it literally happen. So what the hell happened here? Is this something that some other force has deliberately caused? Is there some sort of other curse that we don't know about? Or was the curse not really broken? Uh, you know, and just the sheer shock factor of like, well, Jesus, it looked like everyone was going to have this nice, happy ride off into the sunset, going to be with my man for the, for the rest of our lives. No, she's dead. Seemingly. <laughs> it's such a fucking well shot, like visual too. just the way the page is laid out with Elizabeth walking towards the portal and Melodius like waving his hand. And then the next shot just shows him still, he's still waving his hand and then just crunch the background. You're like, Jesus. And the visual of the last page, uh, cause you know, we see him yelling, uh, you know, out for her obviously, but the only thing of her that we see is just her little satchel, her little heart shaped satchel covered in what looks like her own blood poking out of the edge of the thing. So, uh, yeah. Can't wait for next week to find out what the fuck happened here. Yeah, all right, man. I'm so More... glad that we got to experience this, uh, you know, as it came out, because now, you know, obviously, if you were to read this in a collected edition, you would know, like, oh, well, this is or is not the end of the series. But we were under the impression that the series was ending, and then all of a sudden this happens. So we're you can't replicate that shock uh, of experiencing it while the series is ongoing. So, yeah. Good fucking chapter. Better final season than Game of Thrones, everybody. Who knows? I mean, like, like the socks I'm wearing are a better final season than Game of Thrones season eight. Hey, so. <laughs> so far, Davos is still alive. So best Good season point. of all time. <laughs> My old my, my, my Amoris never get their peanuts. It's finally you, happening. Can you imagine like it just, you know, like the, the, the final episode is wrapping up. Whoever, you know, wins at the end of sitting on the Iron Throne and Davos is there. And he's like, well, anyway, and he just like walks out a window to his death. He's like, <laughs> roll credits. He's like, it's like Jon Snow after having like killed Daenerys. I'm just making up shit. I'm not, I don't know. But he's like, after Jon Snow's killed Daenerys, he's sitting on like the charred remains of the Iron Throne, looking over like the husk that was King's Landing and Davos is staying next to him. And he's like, huh, truly this was a song of ice and fire. Oh, brain aneurysm! And then just... Die, <laughs> dies face first on the floor, and the last shot is him sh- evacuating his bowels before. The That's how you know he's start, actually dead. Before the credits start rolling, and I just like it's just me sitting at home, being like, I don't know what to do with my hands. I don't, I don't know if I should be angry or not yet. 
the sound of bowel movements to the tune of the theme song. <laughs> okay, let's move on because we've still got like four chapters to go and uh, it's starting to get a little late. So anyway, <laughs> Promised Neverland, this is going to be a fast fucking chapter because it's like, I don't know if it loaned the pages to Samurai 8 or what. But it's chapter 134 of the Promised Neverland. Lost Boy, where we see an old and wrinkled Ray going, Hurry! <laughs> what we don't see is that he just left us a CD, a music store with the Taylor Swift album. And he, he looks upon the receipt and he's like, Who am I? <laughs> Who bought the CD and put it in my hand? <laughs> He's wearing a Game of Thrones t-shirt. And he no, too mainstream! A Starbucks drink in his hand. He's like, what have I become? I've become a mainstream happy. <laughs> so, um, we see a flashback of when Ray and Emma were still together in this other world playing this game. And they tried to solve the puzzle and they couldn't. And Ray's just thinking to himself, I really thought that I could win that game and solve the puzzle against that darkness. And that's the chapter. Yeah. It's, <laughs> that's it. It's them walking through a bunch of rooms, basically. Yeah. It's a continuation of the stuff that we saw in the in the previous chapter, except there's more stability to it, basically. But it's weird and they don't know what's going on and the surroundings around them keep on changing. They can't figure it out. And apparently... In this world, it's been going on for a really long time. And that's it. So So, let's move over to Black Clover, page 204, Last Wish. The last time, Nero led Finral over to the statue, like the, the skull of the last demon that was slain. And there was a statue of a boy sitting on top of it. They used the stones to wake the boy up. And then the two of them... Uh, after it turns out that Nero was actually a uh, little, like, a waifish kind of girl, was like, all right, we're fine. thanks for the help, Finral, goodbye, and they shot off towards the, the kingdom. And uh, we find out, basically, what's happening. Turns out that the person we know as Nero was actually uh, a girl 5,000, or 500 years ago, rather, and she had a very specific magic. It was this opening and sealing magic. That was basically all she could do. And because it was considered relatively irrelevant, even though she was a noble, her job, yeah, that was basically her power, uh, was to open and close things. <laughs> and so even though she was a royal, she was still kind of made to serve people. So she was made to serve someone who was apparently a uh, an awful snob, an eccentric prince whose magic and talent were outstanding. And she's like, I bet he'll be a snob. And then she sees him, and he's super cool. Uh He's, he's even excited about her magic. He's like, sealing magic? That's so cool! So you can, like, see everything that's on the top of your room? She's like, no, sealing magic. That's sealing magic. <laughs> oh, so you could balance a ball on your nose while clapping your fins? No, no. no. God damn it. Sealing <laughs> magic. He's like, I mean, I like Kiss from a Rose as much as the next person, <laughs> but he doesn't have that many hits. It's still pretty cool magic, though. <laughs> uh, and they're like no it doesn't matter he's like hey what I do though I create magic items so could you help seal magic into items and they're like yeah that's what she can do 
and we've a perfect match. It turns out, actually, yeah, it works out really well. Uh, there's also a scene where he gives her the the black tutu that she wears, and I was like, okay, it seems weird. Like I, I don't I'm not sure if he's like. He's holding up her hand as he does this, and I'm wondering if she's doing it to reach out and grab it, or if she's just like, no. I think she's saying no, because we don't see her in that costume the rest of the times. So I don't know why she's wearing it now. Maybe it's just, like, guilt after the fact. She's like, I guess I'll wear, like, the weirdly revealing tutu outfit he made for me at one point. I don't think there's anything not innocent to it. It's just, like, it's just a weird, like, I know I'm your employer, I would like you to wear this tutu around the house. It's not a weird thing. It's not a sex thing. I'm very eccentric. <laughs> He's Listen, like, you- in 500 years, I'll bet you that that nobody wears pants. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, It's going to be a thing that women very rarely wear them. Do not wear them. Yeah, you can either wear this tutu or this full skin elephant costume. I made. She's like, I'll take the tutu. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we find out that the two of them were the humans that joined up that kind of regularly met with leashed and the other elves and had a very friendly working relationship with them, how they, they shared the magic between them, how the magic items that they were using were very similar to the elves, magic stones and how there was all kind of a very strong connection between them. And that, uh, this wizard, I forget his name. They say it later on in the chapter. I don't feel like looking ahead for it. His sister was the one who also went along with them. And she's the one who eventually, Mary's leashed and like they're going to have a child and everything like that. So it seems like there's actually a very real possibility that there's going to be true, uh, like peace between the races. Uh, yes. but then there's a day when the sister's like, Oh, hey, father says, uh, like, like I'm gonna be late for your wedding. Father says he needs me for something. They're like, Okay, well, cool with that. And he gets to the palace, he's like, Father, where are you? Hello, and then, uh, the most evil, like, fucking guy in the room shows up, and it's obviously the devils absorbed him, too, and he's just like, doesn't matter what you call me, I am a devil, and I'm gonna kill you. Rah! Basically, holds him there in place long enough, like, uh, uh, Sekre shows up, uses ceiling magic to, like, free him, and the two of them fly away to get back to the elves, but by the time that happens... Uh, we see that the demon has also, like, we see that now his influence over Patry has taken over, and he's holding Leash's dead body in his hands, and, uh, we see that it's a five-star, or five-cleaf grimoire, but oddly enough, Patry is still maintaining some semblance of his humanity, he's, like, saying, like, yeah, I, I knew it wasn't you guys, I'm, I'm sorry that I thought it was you guys, but I can't like I, this. This influence is taking. Oh, maybe it's actually leashed. I don't know. I think it's actually leashed. It's Patrick, leashed. Yeah. Yes. Sorry. Because uh, leash knows the truth, and Patry did not. Yeah. So. So leash is basically saying like I, I understand what's happening. Y- you guys are still the future, though. You are still the hope that we believed in, and all this. So I'm going to prevent my magic and my body from falling into the hands of this monster, for this, this demon. So. Look, I, it's not what I want to do, but I'm doing this for the future. So you're the ones who can grant it. Please kill me before I become something worse. And that's where we end the chapter. Mm-hmm. Lumiere, that's his name. Yes, Lumiere. 
Um, yeah, uh, it's a good flashback to give us this insight. I actually quite like uh, Lumiere and Secre. Um, and uh, even though it doesn't seem like we're going to get a whole lot of them um, for the long term. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so it was all right. So, yep. Let's move on then to One Piece. <sighs> okay, so <laughs> chapter 100, not 100, what am I talking about? <laughs> 100 of one, chapter 942, Daimyo of, Hokum, of Hakumai, Shimotsuki Yasuye. <laughs> that was a weird. I'm sorry, my, my mouth my mouth just made a series of weird noises there. So the chapter begins with a bit of a flashback uh, where we see what uh, what Yasumiye was like in the past, where he was known as this hot-blooded, fierce uh, warrior and leader. Uh, and we see that uh, he had quite a bit of an influence over Lord Odin um, in the past. We don't we still don't get to see Odin. He's done in that very deliberate silhouetted style. So you can't see the details of his face or body and such. But Odin um, you know, first he pumps up the, the, the people following them. He says, look, you know, we're, we're uh, visitors mean us, some visitors mean us well, and some mean us, mean us harm though. So we must have an invincible military force. And so Odin's like, ah, oh, wow, you've really got them going. So uh, good for you. And yeah, so he says, look, do something. Stop just sitting on your ass and, and not doing anything. You were the son of a shogun. And Odin says, well, I was banished, though. Who knows if I'm even considered family? You know, if there are going to be anyone, if there's anyone here who is going to be the next heir after Kazuki Sukiyaki passes, it's not going to be me. It's going to be Shogun Yasuye. And Yasu bonks him on the head and it's like, you bear the clan of Kazuki on your shoulders and Sukiyaki only cut you off as an act of tough love. So take the hint, mend your ways and be who you're supposed to be. And Odin's like, oh, come on. Like, like I don't want to do with all this. I want to go out to see this closed nation is too cramped. And yes, who scolds him by saying it's like, do all that stuff after you have become a proper warrior. Um, and so they had that this they clearly had a close despite relationship, despite that, uh, um, the violence between them. And we cut back to the present where Yasu is, uh, up on, you know, across basically. And everyone is calling out to him because they recognize him now. And they're crying out because they, because they know how important he is and how much he's done for them. Um, so, it turns out that they made a big mistake by putting him up on this place, on this pedestal, because um, he gets to basically deliver a sermon to everyone before he dies. Yeah, I'm surprised you wouldn't. Like, they put a live mic in front of him, apparently. <laughs> basically, like, it's being, his whole thing is being broadcast around the country, too. Like, they've... <laughs> so, good job, guys. <laughs> um, so... And also people from Ibisu realize what's going on. And so in addition to just Otoko, everyone is rushing to try and see him. Uh, And so he says to everybody, uh, like he calls out to everyone. And I like that, that, you know, people are some of the guards are talking amongst each other. They're like, all right, we got to be on guard for rioting because Shogun Orochi's decision to display the execution on light scrolls could really seriously backfire on us. And Yasu just says, well, when the Shogun you serve as an idiot. (laughs) (laughs) 
What are you gonna do? I mean, he didn't say not to gag me, but <laughs> so that part's on you guys. Now, I don't know why you decided to televise this throughout the nation live. Why well, he, he said he told them to broadcast the execution, but he didn't tell them to let him say whatever he wanted yeah, before he I was, died. I was like, I mean, you could have broadcast it from afar and not like within shouting distance of him. Right. So he, you know, says very boldly, now that he's going to die, like, look, you know, this, all the beauty in our country was built over generations of hard work by the Kazuki clan, by the people of the nation. This is not your doing, Kurizumi Orochi. All you have done is pollute and corrupt our land with your sludge and greed. You're nothing but vermin. And <laughs> freaking Orochi is in his, you know, uh, little cart being carried around by servants. And he's like, you'll pay for this. It's like, why didn't you gag him? <laughs> <laughs> it's all your fault that they're turning on me. He said, no, it's not. <laughs> no, I, I very clearly told you, sir, if you were going to broadcast this throughout the nation, you should probably make it so he can't just shout whatever he wants before he dies. To the entire populace of this nation, to everybody, both those who are your allies and already your enemies. So Yasu says, listen, I I own an apology to everyone because that riddle image that's been circulating around in the 20 years since the death of the Kazoki name without any manpower to avenge them. I mourned the loss of that house. And so I created that image. He takes the blame for it and says it was just a prank. Uh, And he he basically says, like, you know, 20 years ago, Orochi came to us with a question, would we serve him or would we fight? Which was a laughable question. Um, and he says, you know, you owed Odin for everything, but you stole his throne through deceit, through chicanery. Who would serve you? And the daimyo and people of each land took up arms, but we failed to overcome the monster Kaido. Wano was raised to the ground. I survived the battle. I took to living in Ibisu in disguise. I would be ashamed to die of old age. So I orchestrated this stunt with that symbol. So everyone, please forgive me. Basically, he uses this opportunity to completely cover up the operation that Luffy's alliance has been uh, circulating because they've already been caught. So as he explains at the end of this chapter, he's reset everything to zero while at the same time also sowing the seeds of unrest amongst all the people. So he does something very clever and selfless uh, as he goes up here to die. Yeah. Um, and he, he also says, uh, as Orochi arrives and just like gets a gun out, he's <laughs> just like, I'm going to shoot that fucker. He's like, how about this? I sh- shall I recite the words that have a stranglehold on your heart. A man of such small caliber shall never in his life truly devour Odin. And then he throws back his head and laughs while thinking to himself, this is where it ends. Listen to me, Kinemon and to the and the Akazaya Samurai and the future Shogun Monomosuke. The plan you create is once again a blank sheet of paper. So for 20 long years, no one has been able to take Kaido's head. So now it's up to you. And in his final words, he says, cover the children's eyes for the final Daimyo serving Kazuki. Nay, the friendly oddball of Ibizu Town shall now make the final grand journey. In fact, I think I'll go singing. And he starts to break into a song before he gets peppered with bullets, uh, including one that seemingly goes into his fucking head. And his final thoughts are begging for his daughter to forgive him for leaving her behind. Yeah, and this all happens as she's running to 
the execution screaming daddy daddy over and over again yeah it's uh it's a uh, yeah a little harrowing uh and uh instead of cries uh from all the people of abisu town everyone including otoko starts laughing uproariously uh there are tears in their eyes but they're all laughing uncontrollably and zoro looks around at everyone and he's like what the hell is so funny about this someone's just died and the only one who can uh who feels sad, who feels too sadness as Kamurasaki, who says the people of Ibisu who always laugh can't actually show when they're sad or suffering. They've been robbed of every expression but smiles. Laughing is all they can do anymore. All because of Kaido and Orochi, because of those things they brought, the smile fruits. And One Piece is on a break again. Because <laughs> we can't go, have nice things. I, I guess you got to take off every other week now. Hey, that's um, fine. Let him do what he yeah, needs to. Let uh, him write movies forever as long as he doesn't kill himself. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I like this chapter a lot. It's a super effective one. I, I, I do wish that because Wano has been a very complex arc, not like mm. necessarily terms and like details, but just because there's so many things going on. There's so many characters basically like, the straw hats have been divided like four ways and each one of those groups has their own group of like NPCs and like side characters to kind of keep track of. So I didn't actually have a ton of like knowledge of this character. It's, it's a little mm-hmm. disappointing to me because I feel like if I had had more of like a consistent knowledge of who he was, this chapter would have hit me a lot harder than it did. Yeah. That's not to say it didn't hit me at all. It's still a very well-written kind of chapter, very much of how One Piece does its, like, die-with-a-smile-on-your-face kind of moments. But if I had had more time to be more emotionally invested in this character instead of being like, ah, fuck, he's like Wano resident number seven, basically, of this story who I vaguely knew. I think he was a thief guy or something. (laughs) He laughed a lot, I think. I think, you know, maybe. I I, I don't... He has hair. <laughs> He's got weird hair. That's his I thing. believe he has hair and teeth. And I, I mean, you're not wrong. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah I, I, I agree with that. I think that it is a very good um, one one off chapter uh, to wrap up this. And it also, you know, leaves you with that kind of, Oh, so there's some really bad shit that's being done to this people. And you get a very powerful visual to get that where, you know, like Otoko has just in a panic, gone out to see her father and has watched him die in front of her. And all she can do is laugh because she can't actually feel sadness. Uh, that's harrowing. Uh, but this would have definitely been a much more effective chapter if there weren't so much in the Wano arc and you would have gotten more of a feel for who Yasu was because it feels like this happened very quickly. Uh, I, I feel like we were just getting to know him right when all of a sudden he was ripped away. So. All right. We are going to conclude things with World Trigger. World Trigger! Chapter 179, Shika Amatori, Part 7. Last time, Hughes was revealing to most of Tamakoma 2 uh, that he believes that Chika is actually capable of shooting people. And uh, when he says this, uh, Yotaro's like, well, so what? <laughs> He's like, ah, yes, what great wisdom you have to offer, you stupid kid. 
And Hughes explains like, well, I mean, it would radically change the kind of strategies that we could come up with. I mean, like instead of her having to defend me while we're seaming up and me shooting, then we could just have her be a tank while the rest of us are her shields. Uh, and she's he's like, I mean, look, you know, imagine like if we went to a battle and she just unleashed meteors and hounds everywhere, we could earn five or six points immediately. Uh, we wouldn't need all these counter strategies. We could just use our overwhelming strength advantage to defeat everyone. So that's why I want to establish, hey, hey, Chica, can you shoot people? <laughs> and like, he's right. But it, it makes He's sense that everyone's asshole. like, yeah, everyone's just like, hey, you're being really unfair right now. Well, everyone's just like, like, hey, why don't you chill out a little bit? Why do you believe she can shoot people? He's like, I don't have any fucking exp- like, evidence, but you don't have evidence she can't either. So can you or can't you? God damn it. <laughs> Answer me. <laughs> He, like, grabs her by the ankle and shakes her upside down. God damn it, kid. Uh, And he points out the fact that, hey, you know, whenever you shoot targets with the lead bullets, I mean, that means that you can physically shoot people. So why can't you do the same with ordinary shots? And Reiji thinks to himself about the thing that uh, uh, Yuzuru I almost forgot his name. It's like, hey, you know, if she could shoot people normally during if she can shoot people normally during training, maybe it's because she knows she won't hurt anyone. And Chica kind of agrees with this when she answers the question, which is when she says, I think it's because I'm scared to see anyone hurt because of me. And uh, so she always like, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, and Reiji says, yeah, that's the way it was for Hadahara. And she was just like, that doesn't make sense. If she imagines that the battle is like a real battlefield in her mind, then if she fails to shoot people, that means that Yuma no Samu could die. And, and Chika's just like, <laughs> and, and Hughes just says, look, I mean, I know that I've, I haven't been here for very long, but I get the impression that she is fully willing to be used as a pawn if it is for her squad mate's sake. So if either of the two of them were in real danger, I feel like she would shoot people to save them. And Chica has this really, really upset look on her face, which is the look of someone who realizes that he's right. Yeah. Uh, and she's like even like grabbing her heart and stuff. And she always just like, hey, are you all right? And he was finally kind of realizes like, OK, um, I don't think he I'm getting from he, No, he doesn't realize he's done drawing. He's like, he I guess I'm not going to get an answer out of you for right now. So, all right, I'm going to leave you alone. Yeah, it's, it's like he says, it's like, I've pushed too hard or anything like that. He's like, I guess the whiny baby's not going to give me an answer right now. Then I'm going to go jerk off and watch TV. <laughs> Come call me when she's ready to talk. Yotro's like, but you make me we mac and cheese. Yotro's like, you said we were going to review the data. I was like, that is my code for jacking off. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to review the data of those cream pie films. I'm going to review the data of my five terabyte file marked bread recipes. <laughs> Giorian wow, your recipes are sure in long MP4 formats. <laughs> yeah, that's how I like it. They sure have a lot of naked women in the thumbnails. Yep, that's how bread's made. He opens one up and she's like, ah, 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 combine the flour and the sugar. Ah. <laughs> you just like, oh, you got me there. Enjoy your recipes. 
Guys, there is a porn site out there that focuses on women who are in really nice cars getting stuck in the mud and designed to have lesbian sex. The first person out there to have women have sex while giving intricate details on how to bake different types of bread. I'm telling you, million dollar idea right there. <laughs> we could be like the Pornhub guy where it's just porn for vi- women that it's just like, I tuck you in after I make you come. Or it's like, <laughs> I wash the dishes and ask how your day is. <laughs> uh, so anyway... We've got to finish up. Reiji and Shiori take Chica up on the roof to calm her down. They give her some, some a hot drink to to so that she feels calm. And they're like, "Hey, you're right." And and she and they're both being like, "Oh, it's okay, it's okay, Chica. Don't push yourself too hard. The way things are going, we can still win this." But Chica actually speaks up and she says, hey, "I think," uh, and she finally opens up and says, "When I was in elementary school, a Tryon soldier came after me." But they hadn't created border yet. Nobody knew about all this stuff. My mom and my dad and my classmates, nobody believed that this thing was coming after me except for one of my friends, this girl named Alba. She believed me. And then she went missing. She was probably kidnapped by neighbors. And when that happened, what scared me even more than her disappearing, even more than no one believing me was how it might feel if they did start to believe me. If they said maybe she was right about everything. It wasn't just that Alba was gone. I was scared that they'd somehow think I put her in danger. When Border was formed and they started popping up, I thought people would blame me for Alba disappearing. I was convinced, so I didn't talk to anyone about it. I decided not to. I'm not scared of hurting people. I'm scared that others will judge me if I hurt people. If there's someone I need to shoot, I think I could do it. But if I keep shooting people with Tryon, what are they going to think about me? Will they be scared of me? Are they going to think that I'm unfair? Will they hold a grudge? Will they hate me? That's what scares me. But I don't want Osama and Yuma to think that I'm useless. So I try my hardest, but I pretend I can't shoot people and try to convince everyone that I'm weak so that people will think better of me. So now she's thrown into conflict because she's like, but if what you said is true, that if I don't do this, that they might die then I could bring myself to to actually shoot the enemy. If it were to save them, I would do it. But more than that, because I'd be scared of someone thinking, look at what happened because you couldn't shoot. Mm. In the end, I only ever think about myself. And she is like, you know, heartbroken now that she thinks this about herself. And there's immediately a really sweet moment because she already grabs her hand and says, that is totally normal. <laughs> But she's like, everyone is always scared that they're going to get blamed for stuff. I think that way, too. You don't have to think of yourself as a bad guy. If you're in the wrong, so is most of the world. And Reiji says, like, even if you were unable to shoot and were to make the situation worse, Osamu and Yuma would never blame you for it. And neither would I. And she was like, and I wouldn't either. And they just say, just do you what say you can. Br- pops up to the ceiling. It's like, I would, though. I would blame you for not getting me my gold medal. <laughs> and as, as you hear from beneath, Rye, Rye, Rye. Oh, wait, hang on. I'm missing the best part. <laughs> I thought I put that on mute. <laughs> if you put it on mute, it's just like watching regular porn. Shut up. <laughs> I might watch it with captions. You don't know. <laughs> Sometimes I just want to look at the cinematography. 
Shiori says, just do what you can, Chica, because we know you're capable of so much already. And uh, Chica leaves them on the roof and they Shiori and Reiji talk for a little bit about that. And Shiori says, you know, hearing her talk that way, you know, it feels kind of like even that when she was expressing that desire for her to take action and go on the away mission, maybe that was also from just her guilty conscience, too. But Reiji says, well, maybe that was the case originally, but I don't think it is now because she's the type to act for the sake of others. And uh, Chica heads down into the main building, thinking about what Reiji said, that Osama and you would not, you know, blame her for not being able to act. But And she thinks to herself, I know that's true, but that's all the more reason for me to fight with all that I have. And she approaches Hughes and Yotaro before we do a cut to a different uh, room. Yay, Chica grew up a little bit. Yeah, no, this is a super, I mean, not to like pull away from the fact that it's like two pages. But it's all basically unimportant stuff, so. Yeah, I mean, it's a super cool chapter for Chica, and it's really giving her some much-needed character development, and at the same time, it also ends up being some really good proof about why Husei is really good for the team. Yeah, Uh, he he needs something, they sometimes need someone to kind of give them a little bit of, you know, breaking up the kumbaya spirit of the team mm-hmm. and so it's like this is the situation and this is what we've got to do so and he's not like mean about it like he's blunt and he's blunt kind <laughs> of and he is kind of an asshole by just like continuing to press it but it's worth noting that like he's pretty like logical about everything too yeah. he's just like yeah i mean if you don't shoot an enemy though yuma or Osamu could die so i don't think that's actually your issue right now because you want to do anything you can to protect them yeah and everyone is you know very much in the mindset and acknowledging that hey he was kind of a real asshole about this despite the fact that he made a good point so i like the fact that it's not like he's being like oh i guess he really did have some insane insight everyone no everyone's just like he was kind of an asshole about that (laughs) you need to have that kind of tempering of it um the, the only stuff that really happens at the end is that uh, Yuma gets word uh, from Shun uh, from Midorikawa that uh, they're going to uh, get some information about Yuba. Uh, so he says, I'm going to go and meet them tomorrow and I'm going to go meet. I'm going to go meet Shun's friend and uh, I'm also going to meet Yuba. So it looks like we're going to get a bit of stuff from Yuma next uh, month. So. Mm-hmm. So. We had a fair number of pretty good chapters, but there can only be one best chapter of the week, Chris. And we're going to name that as well as our MVP as we wrap up our episode. Yeah. So uh, this was a really tough one for chapter of the week because yeah. they're really good chapters. I'm going to give mine to We Never Learn if only because that one maybe will stick with me the most. Seven Deadly Sins is fantastic. World Trigger was really excellent. One Piece was super strong. A lot of really good chapters, but I'm, I'm going to go with We Never Learn for my favorite. I'm going to be in agreement because in terms of like how what the full chapter did uh, and in terms of uh, resolving stuff that had been set up beforehand, that's uh, overall makes it a better chapter. Mm-hmm. Some of Daily Sins had probably the most shocking and memorable single moment, uh, but overall, yeah, uh, it was really, really nice uh, seeing Asumi get her little happy moments here. 
Uh, and my MVP of the week is going to be The Rock from Seven Deadly Sins <laughs> that crushes Elizabeth beneath it. Now, it's amazing that nobody that nobody heard him going, if you smash! <laughs> <laughs> Just a large, half-black, half-Samoan man does an elbow drop on Elizabeth from so, 30 stories in the air. He, is, he finally got a pin with the people's elbow. <laughs> Uh, no, I'm going to give my uh, MVP of the week to uh, Chica. It's a really good week for her. Full agreement. Uh, I It was really surprising that we got this uh, for her, and it was really nice to see her get the uh, character development. And uh, I look forward to seeing what this growth means for her. And uh, we're basically in accordance with the, uh, the the audience. There is a tie for a chapter of the week between Seven Deadly Sins and We Never Learn. And then Chica ran away with the uh, MVP of the week. Mm. Well, that's gonna do it guys we gotta wrap up here because i've got to go somewhere uh thank you everyone for joining us for weekly manga recap we stream the show now wednesdays at 7 p.m eastern time here on twitch.tv slash smashcast.tv slash if you want to check out our past episodes chris just posted a bundle of ones that we recorded recently uh so you can check those out on weeklymangarecap.poppy.com you can check them out on itunes and on youtube uh if you would like to help us boost our rating, you can give us a little comment, subscribe, all that good stuff, and uh, help out the algorithm and help us to become kings of the hobby section and overthrow our rivals, the woodworkers. Those monsters! Ah, when will they stop? And all that stuff. Yeah. Yes. If you would like to join the WMR community, we have a Discord channel with all sorts of different stuff on it. Uh, there's goof-off stuff, and you can participate in uh, deciding who the MVP and favorite series for the audience are each week by participating in that. Uh, there is a whole spreadsheet that Ninja X3i has set up for us that keeps track of that, along with recommendations. If you would like to add a series, a recommended series for us to check out, you can do it via there. And of course, you can always send us some feedback and ask us a question via our email, weeklymagariacap at yahoo.com. And of course, special thanks go out to Infamous Planet and to Steve Manor Tile Card Artist, who made the tile card that you saw briefly yes. before we you'll, took it down. You'll see it next week when we discuss The Climber. Da, da, da. And that's going to do it. All right, goodbye, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>